Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. Here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Oh, I got something to say about the Blazers draft. I also have something to say about the University of Oregon football program. Really good linebackers. And I have something to say about Oregon State. Jonathan Smith, that football program. I've got opinions on the Pac-12 conference the inner sanctum getting some uh, new personalities. We'll talk about that. But before I can get to any of this, before I can talk about the draft, before I can talk about college football, before I can talk about the inside baseball inside the Pac-12 conference, can I just address the idea that if you're listening to this show in the great Pacific Northwest today, I want you to take a look around. All right, look at the blue skies, the sunshine. You got a clear view of Mount Hood today, Mount St. Helens, the mountains, the trees. It's green outside. We're not amid, uh, you know, a drought like uh, Southern California. We are not. Uh, we're not looking at smoky skies. We've seen that stuff over the last few years. We're not looking at rain. We're not in the middle of uh, tornado season. Hurricane weather. No, 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 no. We've got it. Nobody's got it better than us. I was going to say we have it better than everybody, but who has it better than us? To steal a Jim Harbaugh phrase. Nobody. That's who. we got a lot to talk about on today's show. We'll get to the Blazers draft. Joe Cronin, the general manager of the Blazers, having a pretty good week, I think. His best week on the job? Probably. We'll talk to guests like Sean Hyken, who covers the NBA and the Blazers in particular. Anna will join the show. I'll tell some stories. We'll have some laughs. We'll get to know each other better. Uh, that's what this show does. It's conversation between you and I, and I want to start that conversation today by saying, look outside, look around, do not take it for granted. When I moved here 20 years ago, people said, oh, Kanzano, the summers are so amazing. The summers are great. And I, and I thought to myself, the winters must be really bad for people to say the summers are so great. It's like people in the Midwest who say, I love that we have four seasons here. What they're really saying is, man, the winters are hard. And fall, it's a distinct marker before the winters get hard. And spring, wow, after the winters are hard, we get an opportunity to see the sun come out. And summer is summer. But they say we have four seasons uh, because uh, the winters are bad. Nobody in Hawaii is sitting around going, you know, I really love the seasons. I love the colors of the fall here. They don't say that. They just play the ukulele. They get sand between their toes. They do a little surfing, and uh, they live longer because they're happier and they're more laid back. But we have the kind of weather today that makes you understand why you or somebody in your family decided this is the place to live. Because maybe it was you. Maybe, like, uh, you know, it was me in my case. Like, I came here from the Bay Area. I was born. I'm native. We'll get into that later in the show. I was born in the state of Oregon. But but uh, I, I grew up in the Bay Area, really. And I came here for a job, and I stayed here because I loved it. And maybe you have a similar 
case where you said, hey, I moved to the Pacific Northwest and here's why. Or maybe it was just you're born here and the story is uh, a much deeper, richer story that it, it's your grandfather or your father or somebody else who brought you to this area or came to this area originally. Uh, maybe you're a descendant of Lewis and Clark, and that was the Oregon Trail, and you know it was Lewis or Clark, I can't remember which, that uh, sat down and said, you know what, this is the place I'm going to stay. Um, I don't know what the case is for you, but look around, because this is why you live here. I've lived in some places that weren't as nice as this. I lived, for example, in a place called Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's in the northeastern part of Indiana. You, when you turn on the radio in Fort Wayne, Indiana, you're getting Ohio radio stations. There was a time difference between Ohio and Indiana for part of the year because they don't recognize daylight savings time there. And so it was always kind of weird to hear the radio announcer tell me it was 3 o'clock and it was really 4 o'clock or 2 o'clock. I can't remember which, but it was just off. The winters were terrible. They were filled with snow. The people there... Uh, in order to get themselves through the winter, said things like, you know, I love that we have four seasons here, and then they ate a pork tenderloin and smoked a cigarette. That's what they did. But here in the Pacific Northwest, we are much happier, we are healthier, we are uh, mindful of how good we have it and how green it is outside. If you are not these things, if you're stuck inside today, if you haven't looked up, because a lot of times we get like racehorses that have the blinders on, get focused on our own stuff. Just kind of out of the gates we go, and then here we are, and we kind of get into our day. And you don't take a time to kind of look up and go, okay, I'm in the world, and this is this is where I'm at. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but sometimes that happens to me. Sometimes I look up, and I'm like, man, I haven't been outside today. I've been working too much. And then I look up, I go get, go get the mail or whatnot, and I'm like, man, it's a beautiful day. And the next thought I have is, this is why I live here. So I, this is a this-is-why-I-live-here day here in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm happy that... You have made this radio show part of your day. I'm humbled by it. If you read me at johnconzano.com, you know I wrote today about the Blazers general manager, Joe Cronin. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the Blazers draft, but I have a whole bunch of other things on my to-do list today, and I'm going to try to get to them all on this great Friday show. Uh, I want your participation today. The phone number is 503-417-7575. You should put that into your phone. If you are driving, you should make a commitment to me. I'm making a commitment to you. We are planning this show. We have a whole army of interns and production assistants and, uh, you know, uh, content directors. And we have uh, a whole bunch of people who dedicate their morning to getting this show off in the direction it's supposed to go. And then they kind of slide out of the driver's seat and I, and I slide into it and hopefully I don't derail the show or sometimes I do but it's fun anyway and then in the end uh, what we try to do is we try to present you with a diversion let you get away it's not Calgon take me away if you are of an older generation you'll remember those commercials it's not like the Nestle commercial where you fall backwards into the pool although I spent a childhood trying to duplicate that uh, it, when I visited friends' pools, we didn't have a pool growing up. But uh, I also know that my job here is to uh, entertain and make you think and make you feel. Uh, unite. You're probably not going to agree with everything I say on today's show, but I am grateful that you're here for it and we can have this discourse and dialogue because we live in a great country that allows us to have discourse and dialogue without getting super uh, upset or uh, or uh, putting anybody behind bars for anything that they say. 
I want to talk about Joe Cronin out of the gates here. I wrote it at johnconzano.com. If you subscribe, you already know that. You probably got it in your email inbox or you read it somewhere that was linked online or you Google searched and you found it. But if you want to subscribe, go to johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription, get a paid subscription, whatever works for you. The point being, I wrote about Blazers general manager Joe Cronin today. I'll talk in more depth later in the show about Cronin. I think he's a really good story, but I want to focus on his draft pick for just a second. And by draft pick, I mean Shaden Sharp, the guy he took in the first round with the number seven pick. We're going to talk to Sean Hyken about this coming up in a few minutes. But I like the pick, and, and I'm hearing a whole bunch of belly aching from Blazer fans who are upset because they wanted a trade. And I understand you want a trade, uh, but a trade has to work for your team. And I liked what Joe Cronin said yesterday in the news conference that came after the draft. I thought he was uh, really uh, candid in talking about what his objective was. I thought the best part of the news conference was at the beginning where he thanked his support staff. Like, I almost fell over. He's thanking people? This is a general manager of the Blazers? Like, he's not clapping back at the fans or mocking the media? Like, he's literally, you know, he's talking to people and in, in, in a civil way and kind of understanding uh, or explaining what he, what, what, uh, why he picked the player that he picked. And I thought it was just really, um, I guess, unifying and galvanizing for a fan base. And and look, um, this is a Blazers organization that's amid a bunch of turmoil. It's like a reality television show. Uh, it's owned by a trust. The general manager was uh, chased off uh, last season. The team president threw the keys in. Chris McGowan, he said, I don't want to do this anymore. I need to get out of here. He left. And now the uh, organization is not for sale, but for sale. And we are all wondering what's going to happen. In the meantime, they have to conduct basketball business. Um, Damian Lillard's on this roster. I still maintain that I think the right move for the Blazers probably is to move Lillard in, in the in the coming weeks, uh, maybe sometime this season. I don't think that their timeline is going to line up, uh, but uh, but I don't blame them if they choose another path. And let's see how it works out. But uh, I think they could get a lot for Damian Lillard right now, and I think they could probably ensure the uh, the future of this franchise by by trying to move him between now and February, but uh, I if they're not going to move him, then I think the right move is to maintain your flexibility, and I think they did that this week. Jeremy Grant, the, who they traded for, they traded a, a future first that's probably not going to be a great first round pick. It's going to be Milwaukee's pick in 2025. It's probably going to be like pick number 26. That's my prediction, 27, something like that. Uh, but they move that pick for Grant, who is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. He could walk. The Blazers could end up with nothing. It, but I feel better about ending up with nothing but getting a season out of Jeremy Grant than I do with them not making this move. Like, let's see who he is. If you're going to keep Damian Lillard, he's the right kind of player to put alongside him. So then what do you do on draft day? Well, draft day came, and it became evident what the Blazers were going to do as it got to pick number seven. With the seventh pick in the 2022 NBA Draft, the Portland Trailblazers select Shaden Sharp from London, Ontario and the University of Kentucky. Shaden Sharp 
didn't play a game at Kentucky, but he practiced at Kentucky, and he was the number one player in the 2022 high school recruiting class. He reclassified, wasn't eligible at the beginning of Kentucky's season. When he did become eligible, his handlers and those who were vested in him being a high draft pick uh, talked with John Calipari and said, you know what, we don't want this kid to play this year. We don't want him thrown into a game. Uh, I get the strategy there. It's new world NBA thinking, but you know it's not what I would do. It makes me question whether he has, like, does he have competitive fire or not. But I kind of understand what his camp was thinking, so I'm not going to hold it against him. I'll wait and see on that front. But then, you know, he talked to media last night, and, you know, it, he he specifically addressed the idea of, you know, playing for the Blazers and, and his workout with the Blazers and how excited he was. Here's Shaden Sharp. Well, the workout in Portland was really good. Uh, I mean, we really got, got to compete. Um, but some of the discussions that we had afterwards was really good. Um, really just asked me if I can compete. I mean, they see me in the workout, so, they, you know. Um, but really, the discussion was really good. Look, at seven, you, you're not going to get an established college player who's a star, right? Those players are gone one, two, maybe three in the draft every year in today's draft. So at seven, you're looking at maybe a more established, mature college player that doesn't quite have the ceiling or the upside of your one, two, three picks. Or you're looking to go off the radar a little bit. And I would present Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons as examples of, you know, a little bit off the radar. The Blazers looked at a kid from Weber State once upon a time. If Damian Lillard's at Kentucky or Kansas, he's a top three, top four pick, but he's not. And so the Blazers grab him at six. Uh, Anthony Simons goes to the Blazers in the 20s. Uh, a couple few years ago, and, you know, very similar to Shaden Sharp, he did not play in in college. He went to IMG Academy. So the Blazers had, you know, it took a little risk on, on Anthony Simons, but it, we now realize, hey, look, picking a really talented young player and letting him grow a little bit is not a bad alternative, and it's the exact philosophy that I was talking about entering the draft when I looked at Boston and Golden State's rosters. Eight homegrown drafted players on the Warriors, eight homegrown drafted players on the Celtics, evident that these NBA Finals, top three scorers on both teams entering the Finals were were all players drafted by their original team. It's evident that you can grow a championship team. You just have to be patient enough to do it. And the Warriors weren't, and the Celtics weren't trading away their draft picks because, hey, we're not picking in the top, four so we might as well just trade the pick no they were trying to find Jordan Poole they were trying to find Looney they found Draymond Green like if you look at the success of these other teams it's not luck it's good scouting it's sound strategy and they avoid desperation and so I like Joe Cronin's comments yesterday when he said look uh, we were looking for a trade but we didn't see anything that wowed us and so instead what they end up doing is they pick a player, they make a bet on a player who is young, relatively unproven, but has got you know, high upside as a kid that Kentucky believed in, a kid that you know some other NBA teams would have taken shortly after the Blazers. And you know I like this pick better than going the route of say drafting the next Myers Leonard or or uh, you know drafting the next Zach Collins. You know I. I think this pick, I feel a lot better about it, even if he's not available to contribute in the next couple seasons. 
I think Shaden Sharp is the kind of player that can be part of the Blazers' future, and I think that's a win for Joe Cronin. We're going to talk about it with Sean Hyken. He covers the Blazers. He'll be joining us next. I've got so much more ahead. We'll continue the conversation. I want your phone calls as well. If you want to weigh in on the Shaden Sharp front, Blazer fans, I want to hear from you at 503-417-7575. You've got the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. With the seventh pick in the 2022 NBA Draft, the Portland Trailblazers select Shaden Sharp from London, Ontario, and the University of Kentucky. Shaden Sharp is the pick. Uh, Joe Cronin, general manager of the Blazers. His first draft day is the GM. Sean Hyken uh, covers the Blazers. Uh, Rose Garden Report. Uh, if you don't subscribe to it already, you should. Hyken joining us now. Joe Cronin, uh, what did what'd you make of his first GM appearance on draft day? The appearance itself, I mean, there's not really so much we can take from it as far as, like, addressing all the greater uh, moves that he's made because, you know, the, the the Jeremy Grant trade hasn't been made officially yet, so he couldn't talk about it, so he sort of had to talk around all that stuff. I kind of had the same takeaway that you did right away, that uh, you and I, I think, both kind of had the same point that in the columns that we respectively wrote, uh, that he started off by thanking his front office members all by name. He went down the line like eight or ten people. And, you know, that's a little bit of a change of pace from the last guy who I don't think ever gave credit or acknowledged anybody else in the organization. So there is, so there's that. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think he explained the process behind the picking Shade and Sharp and just saying that they, you know, they even though he had not played at Kentucky, that they saw enough with, you know, the other intel that they had and the high school film that they had on, on him and what have you, that they thought the upside was high enough that it was worth taking a swing there. So we'll see what they do the rest of the offseason as far as building the rest of the roster out now. Yeah, I, I like that too because it, it showed me, look, maybe because he's an intern, he came up through the ranks, he understands that there are a lot of people that go into a draft day decision from video coordinators to uh, to the the people working, at, working out players during the workouts uh, to – to his staff, how did his immediate staff, and in particular the new hires, factor in picking Shaden Sharp in your mind? Well, from what I've heard, there was it was actually not a total consensus in the room. Like it wasn't every single person in the front office was a hundred percent sold that it was Shaden. There were some people who really liked Dyson Daniels, the kid from Australia who played for the G League Ignite last year. Those were kind of the two guys that they were considering in that spot ultimately they decided to go with sharp i do know that and i talked about this before i've written it in the last couple of days that mike schmitz who they just hired as an assistant gm and was a draft analyst for espn for a number of years before that has been very well known to you know it based on you know when he was still working for espn you know during this whole season of like draft coverage and college coverage and whatever uh he was really uh you know, he was really, really high on Sharp, and if you're Portland, like this, because I know they're trying to win now with Dame, and that's the, uh, you know, that's that's their number one objective. But if you're going to keep the pick, and from from what I was, from what I understand, like they did go pretty hard after OD and Anobi and a couple other guys, and they just the uh, 
asking price from Toronto was just higher than I think they were willing to do with, you know, stuff besides the number seven pick. But if you decide yeah, there's no trade that you love and you're going to keep the pick, they are not in a position, I think, as far as the amount of talent that they have on the roster where they can afford really to not take whoever they think is the most talented guy on the board and focus too much on, on fit. Because they still, you know, outside of game and Anthony Simons and Yusuf Nurkic, there's still a lot of unproven, you know, their roster, like Josh Hart is a solid veteran, and Nasir Little, when he can stay healthy, showed some stuff last year, but they're still in a position where they just need more talent, and so they went with the approach of we're going to take who we think is the most talented guy on the board, even if it takes a couple of years to develop, and I think there's plenty of wisdom to that. I liked it, and I and I thought, you know, this 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 isn't necessarily a move for next year, but it's the right move to make. I know that they involved Damian Lillard in the workouts. They're listening to him. They're talking with him. I know they're saying all the right things, but are they just are they involving Lillard really in your mind, Sean, or is this just kind of what you do with a star player? You let him feel involved with the process, but ultimately, Joe Cronin and his staff have to live or die with this pick. Well, Dame physically was not in the room with them last night during the draft. I asked Joe about that at the press conference. He said that Dame wasn't. But I've been going to these draft workouts for a few weeks now, and Dame, with the exception of that couple of days when he went to Australia to watch that boxing match that he was like on TV watching, with the exception of that, he's been there for all of these draft workouts. And he's been, you know, going back to, you know, I was at every game this past season, and going back to basically as soon as the, front office changes that happened back in December, pretty much before every game, obviously Dame took a little bit of time away from the team after he had his surgery in January. But other than that, pretty much every single game and every single practice that I went to all season, you would see him and Joe Cronin sitting together on the bench talking for like 35 or 40 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever at a time. And that's like visibly in front of reporters and in public, like those guys talk all the time and those guys are like having in-depth conversations pretty much all the time as far as what's even visible so I don't doubt that Dane's input was you know you know they they asked for his input and I know you know you saw with the other move that they made Jeremy Grant we know for a fact that's a guy that Dane has a relationship with and played with him on the Olympic team last summer and a guy that he really wanted them to trade for at the deadline and then they were able to, so they are consulting with him, but ultimately, you know, you're, you're the GM. Your job is to do what's best for the franchise and with the deal that they had in front of them. If they wanted to, you know, I think they felt like whatever Toronto was asking for OG Ananobi was an overpay, and I think that would have probably been Dean's preference to say, you know, let's just go all in and push all the chips in, and maybe if we have to overpay for a veteran, like, let's let's do that. But I think they felt like, we got at least one quality starter win now guy with Jeremy Grant. We didn't really have to give that much up. And so now, you know, because we did that, we've at least done something there. And so now we can split the difference where if we don't love any of these trades are on the board, we can say, well, we have this draft pick. Let's just take a swing and you know, try to get the highest upside guy there is so that in a few years, I mean, I'm not even talking about Dane necessarily wanting to be traded because I think that's, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that if that was going to happen, it would have happened last summer. I think he's going to retire in Portland ultimately. But he's 32, and you know he's not going to be this level of player forever. And so as he is declining over the next few years, you know, hope, they're hoping that it's not you know anytime soon. But that's going to happen as he gets into his mid 30s. Their hope is that now you have this, you know, you have Simon who's still really young, and then you're going to have Shaden Sharp, who they're hoping is going to kind of have a similar trajectory and be ready to really step into that role in a few years like Simon has. 
Sean Hyken with us, Rose Garden Report. It's his new venture. He has launched it. He's reporting on the team on a daily basis, also with Bleacher Report. Uh, you've covered the league for a long time, Sean. There, there are a lot of ways to build teams. How is Portland different than other markets when it comes to kind of the strategy of building a winner? Well, there are, I mean, I mean, it's, it, it, it is obviously true. It is, Portland is not L.A. or Miami or any of these markets where free agents are going to be lining up to go. When you're, but when, you know, when you're in a small market, you have to be the kind of organization that does things the right way and treats people well and that, you know, you know, if you have a guy like Dane, you have to, you know, treat him well enough to give him enough to make him feel like, hey, I don't want to leave. Like, for example, you know, Oklahoma City is a market that, and I know Durant ultimately ended up leaving, you know, for other reasons, but, you know, Oklahoma City is also a city, and, you know, it's, a, my, in my opinion, a much less desirable city than Portland, but that's a place nobody wants to sign. But you talk to anybody who's ever played there, and all they will ever tell you is how well they were treated and how Sam Presti is honest with you, and it's a good organization, and they have a good player development staff, and all that other stuff is there. That's just the disadvantage they have as a city. I think Portland now with this new front office i think they're trying to build a similar thing where and you you know you see with you know how involved dame has been now and how involved chauncey billups has been and how involved you know a lot of different other people in the organization are now i think the thing that they're going to try to sell now and you know whether it be to free agents or for guys who like i think it's i think it's really uh you know encouraging that jeremy grant you know, when he wanted to be traded from Detroit, Portland was his first choice because he wanted to come play with Dame, and he felt like it was a good situation. From what I understand, OG Ananobi people, who are, you know, Clutch Sports, is one of the most influential agencies that there is. They wanted, when they were trying to get him out of Toronto, they really, it didn't end up happening, at least as of now, but they really wanted him to come to Portland to play with Dame. We're now starting to see, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're starting to kind of turn it around as far as, like, now this is an organization that maybe people want to come play and you know want to you know sign with even though it's not LA or Miami or any of those cities that you would normally see like free agents really wanting to go to. Yeah, and I and I think too if you're Joe Cronin, you know one of the advantages uh, that you have is you've been here, and I keep coming back to him as an intern. You know he's not new. I remember when Neil Olshay came in, it was like oh we're going to have a great summer, whatnot. It took him like three summers before he was like, you know. Uh, Portland, you know, it's 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 a tough place to get free. And like he finally acknowledged, it's a tough place to get free agents to come to. I think Joe Cronin knows that, and I think that's why you know trade and draft become sort of the uh, the, the you know the primary sources there. He alluded to that at the end of his news conference. He sort of said, "Look, um, the mission now is the roster has to get better. We're going to look for upgrades." When he said that, Sean. Where does your mind go? Where do they need upgrades right now? They still need, well, they're going to need a backup center. I'm assuming that Nurkic is going to be back. I haven't heard anything that would suggest that he's not. I think that's going to get done pretty quickly. They still need a backup center. They tried to, you know, over the last few years, they've cycled different guys in and out of that spot. It was Ennis Cantor at one point, and then last year it was Cody Zeller, and then he got injured. They they, they need to, you know, fill that spot, and, you know, I think, Mo Bamba might be somebody that they look at as a free agent now who, you know, has been with Orlando and they, you know, that's a guy they might look at Mitchell Robinson if he doesn't resign with the Knicks. Like there, there are guys out there that you could go after. So that's one spot. And I, I mean, you saw just from a trading for Jeremy Grant and B who they drafted. It seems like what they're trying to prioritize now, they have Dane, they have 
Simon. So they kind of have the undersized guards who score a lot thing kind of figured out. They're kind of trying to surround those guys with bigger wings and front court guys and guys who can switch different positions and defend different positions. And they know that like that backcourt defensively is always going to sort of be limited. And so they, what they need to do and I, what it looks like they're so far trying to do is surround those guys with guys who can cover up a lot of those weaknesses. So that's kind of the direction I would expect them to go. He, he mentions free agency, but I really heard from him that there could be trades here. What is he going to use asset wise to get better? Well, they have that big trade exception that's for $21 million, I think, which is which they, they use that on the Jeremy Grant deal. They still have uh, they still have a little bit of a small, I think it's like $10-12 million trade exception from the Robert Covington trade that they can use. And then they also have uh, the you know Eric Bledsoe's contract, which is uh, for about $19 million, but they actually have, I, I had thought, I checked on this last night, I had thought that they would have to make a decision about whether to waive him or to keep him by June 30th in order for that contract to become fully guaranteed or not guaranteed. It turns out he's not, that contract is not even fully guaranteed until July 10th. So they could go into the free agency period and still have that to use as something where if a team is trying to unload money, they can say, hey, you know, you, you, you take this Eric Bledsoe contract, you can waive it, save some of that money, and we'll take back $20 million in salaries. So they still have pieces that they can use obviously using this trade exception on jeremy grant means that they're not going to be a cap space team then they have the mid-level exception which is about 10 million which they can use for you know signing a free agent that might be where they go with the backup center money so they have ways to improve the team i think that you know not using the number seven pick in a trade is not you know now they don't have no assets it certainly limits the ceiling of the kind of guys that they would be able to get, but uh, it's you know they, they they have ways to go. It's just a matter of how what are they going to be able to pull off and what are they going to be able to actually get done. The the I, I don't want to talk about last year's team because I think it's a bad comparison with the injuries, but uh, you know I want to know can they get back to being fun and entertaining? And I don't mean can they win a playoff series, but Sean, if you or I are in the arena, are we going to enjoy watching this team play next year, or what needs to happen for them to get there? Well, I think as long as Dame stays healthy and is, you know, is totally past this ab injury and is back to the guy that he was before the ab thing started slowing him down to the point that he needed surgery. If you have Dame, like it, we've seen this over however many, like it's what, eight years before this last uh, season where they tanked, where it was, you know, they made the playoffs eight years in a row. And like Dame is good enough that as long as you have Dame, there's only so bad that you can be like, at the very least, having him is going to make you in the running to be a playoff team. And so now, you know, with Anthony Simons kind of coming into his own and, you know, being, you know, a solid starter, and then if the Jeremy Grant thing works out, I, have, I mean, it's possible that, like, I, I don't want to really – we haven't seen what they're going to do as far as the rest of the offseason or what any of these other teams in the West is going to do, so I don't really want to project, like, where they might be in the West. But I think as long as Dane is healthy, they're going to be a much more enjoyable team to watch than last year's team. Do you have a sense on that? Like, can, next time you see him, can you say, hey, can we get some crunches? Like, we need to see this guy. We need to know that the abs are okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that will be uh, – I mean, Dane has not talked to local media here since, like, a week after he had his surgery in January. He's done a couple of interviews, you know, one-on-one. Like, he was on Draymond Green's podcast. He was on – he did an interview with Chris Haynes at Yahoo at one point. So he hasn't really done a lot of – since the surgery, so that's definitely on the list to ask him. But 
I do know that, you know, when we did talk to him right after the surgery, he said that uh, somebody who had the same surgery a number of years ago was Drew Holiday. And he talked about how all throughout the Olympics, uh, when they were playing together on, on Team USA, Drew kind of saw, you know, how he was struggling and just kept telling him every day, like, dude, don't, just go get the surgery done. You know, even if you have to take a whole year off to do it, you know, do it, but you're going to, you know, it's going to be a good thing for you to do it in the long term. And then, you know, Dane, you know, was putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because he didn't want to mess up his season and he had his wedding planned already. So then he finally did it. And he said, the thing that I think if you're a Blazers fan, you should be really excited by is the last, one of the last interviews he did, which was on Dream on Green's podcast in like, I think it was like February or March or something like that. Uh, he said that like when people see how good he is this coming season, they're going to realize how hurt he's been the last couple of years, which any athlete who has a major surgery and is coming back, they're always going to say something like that. But if that's true, then, you know, they could be right back in the playoff mix. Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report. Read him there. Follow him on Twitter. Hear him on this show occasionally. Sean, I appreciate your expertise and your time. Uh, look forward to talking to you again. Good to talk to you, John, always. Fantastic stuff from Hiking. That's why, that's why I bring him on here, right? Like, I'm not just going to fill time with anybody. I want somebody who knows what the hell's going on. Love the insight. Love the analysis. We'll pivot next, though, towards college football. There are some teams in the Pac-12 Conference that are having trouble selling tickets this season. Season ticket sales are soft in some places, including some places in our state. Why? We'll talk about it next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I got a question for you. If you're a Duck fan, Beaver fan... You're a Washington fan, Washington State fan, UCLA, USC, whatever team you root for. What's going on with season ticket sales in your household? See, the Beavers are different because the Beavers only have 26,407 seats next season at Research Stadium because of the construction project going on. So uh, they're impacted. They're having a hard time accommodating students and season ticket holders like Oregon State uh, for the first time in recent memory they don't have kind of a real push for season ticket packages in football they'll sell you some season I mean some single game tickets University of Oregon uh, season tickets uh, are soft per a source telling me that they are uh, they're pushing the season ticket sales uh, they're still they still have a robust season ticket core base but it's a little soft, and I'm wondering why. What's your theory on why the season ticket sales at Oregon are soft? 503-417-7575. If you're somebody who had season tickets but doesn't anymore, I want to hear from you. If you're somebody who's considering it but on the fence, I want to hear from you. I want to, I want to uh, crowdsource this a little bit. Like Only you can answer this question. You are uniquely qualified uh, to tell me why it is you are lukewarm or maybe – Maybe cold with the idea of buying season tickets to see Oregon football next year. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the program and Dan Lanning's arrival and whatnot, but I understand, like, you know, is it a financial thing? Is it that, you know, you can probably get on StubHub and get tickets to a game you want? Is it that they don't have the annual rivalry game with Oregon State at home this year? It's at Reeser Stadium. 
Is it uh, that you're exhausted a little bit from the turnover from Helfrich to Taggart to Cristobal now to Lanning? Is you know, do you have a little exhaustion there? Is it that the team's not picked to win the Pac-12 this year? So you're going, hey, this is a year I take off, do something else. I'm not saying there's a crisis going on with season tickets because there's not. But I noticed that Oregon's pushing it a little bit. And so I started asking people about season ticket sales. And they're saying, yeah, you know, they've got tickets available at Oregon. Uh, and I can remember some other years where there weren't very many tickets available. I want to hear from you. We'll... Uh, We'll take your phone calls after the break, 503-417-7575. Answer for your household and yourself. Are you somebody who was on the fence and didn't buy the tickets yet? Have you already bought them, but it was a tougher decision than most years? Help me understand what is going on with the fan base. Is it kickoff times? Is it, uh, is it just hey, you know, the, the cost of tickets these days? Is it the gas? I don't know. Talk to me. That's what I'm saying. Talk to me, Goose. 503-417-7575. Your phone call is coming up next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I don't just uh, I don't just throw things out there without doing my research. So I'm here to tell you that you know I reached out to. Utah today. Utah has one of the most robust busts college football fan bases in uh, in the Pac-12 conference, and, and uh, they have a wait list for season tickets that is 5,000 long. Okay, 5,000 wait list. Um, Oregon right now is pushing season tickets. They uh, they are a little behind where they used they were under Mario Cristobal, and I'm wondering why. Have they priced you out? Is it kickoff times? What is it? 503-417-7575. I want to hear from you. Only you can answer this because it's you and your family, and I'm crowdsourcing this. Let's go to Eugene. David is in Eugene. He's listening on Fox Sports Eugene, 1050 AM. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. How you doing? Doing well. Tell us why or uh, what you think of the tickets. Well, I'm like I said, I was thinking it had a little bit to do with uh, the pandemic and people are a little hesitant whether or not it's going to kick back in or, you know, and lose their investment. I come from the Bay Area as well and I come, you know, I was predominantly a pro football, you know, enthusiast and college is rather new to me, but I, I must say I'm loving it now that I'm here and I, and I do enjoy football anywhere I can get it. Yeah, and, and but I want to hear from people who are saying, I didn't buy tickets and here's why. What is your theory on why tickets aren't being sold? And uh, as I say this, uh, a ticket rep at Oregon State has sent me via email, thank you for listening to the show, um, sent me a, uh, a offer for Oregon versus Oregon State tickets at Racer Stadium. So apparently there are some single-game tickets that are still available for the Oregon-Oregon State game. Um, Peter Sampson, Judah Newby, let's spitball here. Why are 
their tickets available at Oregon this season. What is going on? Man, I think it's sort of a conjunction of things coming together. I mean, times are tough for a lot of people. Every day, other costs are sort of spiraling spiraling out of control. I mean, how much gas do you have to spend to drive from if you live in North Portland or Vancouver to roll down to Eugene? So that's definitely part of it. But again, I think about my living room and how comfortable it is, how climate controlled it is. 65-inch 4K 300-watt surround sound the beer is ten dollars a six pack instead of ten dollars a piece and i get to choose what it is it is a nice experience and why it doesn't fully equal the in-person experience man it's comfortable and it's 20 feet from my bed that the the competition of your living room is real but that exists everywhere right so what is it about oregon and this year in particular is something changed this year in your mind I don't know. I think you might have hit on it with the constant turnover. I think there might be a lot of Ducks fans, and I think a majority of them are reasonably excited. I think it's going to be a fun year. But there might be a portion of the fan base that's sort of in, well, show-me mode. You know what I mean? Let's just wait and see how this goes before I'm going to drop a big purchase like this. I think it's really interesting. Uh, Judah Newby want to join this conversation what's your theory absolutely the beaver one makes sense because reaser is you know it's going to be a tough place to be i think to to watch games uh this year especially to commit to a season ticket package yeah, but, but but the oregon state game they're they're almost sold out like they mm-hmm. they but well, they, again, I, I would hope so but 20 <laughs> but twenty six thousand plus students i just looked on the seating chart it's like if you want to go to the oregon oregon state game you can get club level tickets for about three hundred dollars a piece mm-hmm and those are available, but at Oregon, it's very soft right now. Why yeah. is it so soft at Oregon? I think a coaching turnover is part of it. Uh, if the Georgia game was at Autzen, this would be a much different story. A um, couple years, you know, if it was pre-pandemic and the Ohio mm. State game was at Autzen, I don't think we're even having this conversation because it just would have year-over-year carryover in terms of interest and people wanting to be at Autzen Stadium. You know, we we got to get Autzen back to where... We know what it can be, and we just haven't seen that year over year in some time now. So between that and then the coaching turnover, I think, is a real thing. I think there's a lot of people excited about Dan Lanning, but not ready to put dollars and cents down to watch every home game for for Dan Lanning football just yet. I think that day will come, but I'm frankly not surprised it's it's not there yet right now. Yeah, it's interesting to me. You know, I kind of wondered, is it, All right, here's the combination. Here are all the factors that I think could be part of it. It could be that they've priced out the average fan. It could be that people, um, the coaching change, as you mentioned, that maybe there's a wait and see with Dan Lanning. Uh, It could be that the home football schedule this season does not include uh, a big-time opponent at home. It does not include, as you mentioned, Georgia. It does not include having uh, the uh, Beavers game at home. Uh, you're talking about BYU, though, and Eastern Washington, and you're talking about a uh, you know a non-conference schedule that you know it's been better in other other years. If USC was coming, you know, yeah, that might be a big that would be a big one. But I think uh, it could be those things. Could it be the World Championships in track and field that people are going? Hey, I'm going to spend some money, but I'm going to go see the World Championships in track and field that are taking place in July in Eugene. But here's the home schedule. It's Eastern Washington. It's BYU, Mm -hmm. Stanford, uh, which is always an interesting game, UCLA at home. Uh, It's Washington at home on November 12th, and it's Utah at home. Now, the November schedule at home is good. It's Washington and Utah. Those are good games at home. But 
is that enough in a world where we know you can jump on StubHub and you can just buy that game? That could be it, too. Uh, let's go to the phones. Sam's in Vancouver. Sam, speak for yourself. It's the gas. It honestly is the gas. Um, I'm I'm a diehard Duck fan. I'll I'll pay tickets. I'll pay, you know, fifty, sixty bucks a pop, you know, for nosebleed or what have you, you know. But but those gas prices, man. I mean, just filling my my car, it's it's up over one hundred and sixty dollars, and there's no like give and take because like sometimes you know the gas is cheap, the the tickets are affordable. There's just there's no break even right now and i've got co-workers that drive electric cars and they're approaching 60 bucks to have to pay for their gas now because you know i mean it's nothing like what i have to pay but i mean i honestly think with with the way the gas prices a lot of the fan bases come down from the portland area for oregon and oregon state and you know just within you know driving around in vancouver for work i mean i'm going through a quarter of a tank you know in like a day you know, it's because it's all city driving. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous right now. I think that's, I think that's a big reason because I'm super excited to see Dan Lanning and see what he can do. Cause I don't think anybody's given him any credit for coming from the SEC or anything like that. Yeah. Look, if they go to Georgia and they play well, you could see a big push like that happens. There's a surge, but right now, uh, I'm told Oregon's got season tickets available. John's in Lake Oswego. He is a duck season ticket holder. John, I'm dying to talk to you. What's going on? Hi, John. Hey, uh, listen, I've had season ticket holder, or been a season ticket holder at Autzen for probably 30 years plus. I've been going to the game since 1975. Here's the thing. Uh, the late games are a killer for me. And I'm real tired of the platitudes and, uh, gee, come on down. And nobody ever apologizes for those late games, and it is an absolute killer. The other thing is they have extraordinarily badly managed traffic getting out of the games. It's, it's, it's just ridiculously bad. The other thing is the beer in the stands has killed it for a lot of people. Yep. I can remember uh, just drunk-ass yeah, fans in there. i got to get to break, John, but I think you raised a whole bunch of good points there. We'll continue this conversation on the other side of the break. Plus, Punch It Audio still ahead. B-F-F-T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. That's the fastest break that any radio show on planet Earth has to take. Like, I, I just sit tight because we're off air, we're back on. I'm glad you're here for it. I'm glad you stick around. We've been talking about season tickets, and we've been talking about college football teams. Oregon State is selling its tickets. It's got very few tickets available. They have a couple of few tickets left in the club section for the Civil War football game. If you're a Duck fan, Beaver fan, you want to grab them, grab them. But Oregon right now, I don't think they're being shy about it when they tell me, hey, you know, we're a little soft on our season ticket sales. They want you to know there's tickets available. I'm wondering why. Is it Dan Lanning? Proof of performance? Is there some exhaustion factor, wait-and-see factor, Mario Cristobal leaving. i got to be honest with you. Like, I heard from a guy 
when Mario Cristobal announced he was going from Miami, I heard from a guy who lived in the neighborhood where Mario Cristobal and Jessica Cristobal and their kids lived. He said, I can't do this anymore. He said, my children became friends with Mario Cristobal's children. And now they've lost friends. They're moving away. He said, before that, it was Willie Taggart's kids. What You know, they, they, they became friends with them. Before that, it was Mark Helfrich. Basically, the neighborhood was saying... We've had enough of the turnover. Is is that it with Oregon fans? I don't know. I think it's probably a combination of things. Gas prices. They priced out the uh, the average fan. Not they, but college football in general, I think, has priced people out. Uh, I think you're looking at inflation. You're looking at uh, people. I've heard from people this summer who are saying, you know what, we're not going to take that 10- or 12-hour drive this summer. We're going to save the gas money and do something else. I've heard people talk like that. So I, I don't blame you. you got to do what's best for you. You have to do what's right for your family. I guess I'm just curious to know what the heck is going on. Anna will join us later this hour. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll do the 5 at 5, and then I want to talk about a couple of few things in the 5 o'clock hour. Um, I want to talk about why the Pacific Northwest is so great. Yeah. If you're in the Pacific Northwest, you're going to want the 5 o'clock hour. Also, I will talk about the Blazers. Uh, I thought they had a pretty good week. I thought specifically Joe Cronin had a pretty good week. You know, I feel like maybe we should do that on a Friday. And by the way, uh, what's your peeve? We started doing that on a Friday a couple Fridays ago just on a whim. I'm now told by somebody in our sales and marketing department that uh, one of the advertisers heard us doing what's your peeve and said, we'd like to sponsor that. And so I believe here in the coming weeks, What's Your Peeve will become a regular Friday installment on this show. It's why we got to be careful, guys. we got to be careful what we talk about because we say things and then the, uh, the uh, sponsors listen to the show and they know that the listeners are an absolute army and they go, yeah, 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 we like that idea. We'd like to sponsor that. And then we're locked into doing it. So I'm glad we enjoy doing What's Your Peeve once a week. But I, I'm just saying we have to be careful what we do on this show because uh, there's a chance that it could become a regular sponsored segment of the show. So we better uh, choose our battles wisely, so to speak. Uh, this segment, you're going to hear about Kyrie Irving. What a drama. Freddie Freeman, who got emotional. Always love it when athletes get emotional and get real. You'll hear from the Blazers' newest draft pick, their first-round draft pick, Plus a whole bunch more. It's all part of Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, one of the dramas that is developing in the NBA is Kyrie Irving. He's daring the Nets to let him test free agency. He knows full well that if he leaves Brooklyn, Kevin Durant could leave Brooklyn. Bill Ryder, CBS Sports, talking about Kyrie. Punch it. If Kyrie leaves, if he doesn't opt into this deal, if he doesn't do what he said he was going to do when he said he wanted to return to Brooklyn, the Nets are an absolute dumpster fire because Coach is right. Kevin Durant's going to try to go play somewhere else. 
all the pieces they moved for James Harden and for Kyrie Irving, all these really, I think, impressive pieces that were part of a rebuild that was working are playing somewhere else. We don't know what Ben Simmons is ever going to be. And I think this is the danger you're on with Kyrie Irving when you build around this guy. Because Coach is right, if Kyrie leaves, and it certainly sounds like he's going to, if he doesn't leverage the Nets to make some sort of U-turn, maybe they will, Kevin Durant is going to look for greener pastures. And I think it's a reminder that talent's great, but you want talented players who are not going to burn your organization to the ground. Well, look, it's a game that the Brooklyn Nets knowingly played, right? When you sign on for this carousel of superstars, you are signing on for some drama if things don't go well. Even if they go well, you're signing on for it. But think about what the Brooklyn Nets have done with Kyrie Irving. They have defended him. They have made excuses for him. They have allowed him to be a part-time player for part of the pandemic, and they've paid him. But what they're not willing to do is give a fully guaranteed max contract that will take him into his mid-30s. Take note of this, Blazer fans, who have a 32-year-old Damian Lillard on your roster. We may not be far away from a debate just like this one. But now he is threatening to take his ball and go home if they don't give him the deal. I, I, I'm curious to see how this ends up, but I kind of think, like, you know, he's been in some other places where it didn't work out. Cleveland, Boston, whatever. Like, it wasn't a good fit. Now he is in Brooklyn, and it's apparently teetering. If I'm the Nets, I'd be awfully tempted to call his bluff. But we all know how the NBA works. It's about agents, and it's about talent. Blazers made a big pick yesterday in the first round with a number seven pick. Here's how it sounded. With the seventh pick in the 2022 NBA draft, the Portland Trailblazers select Shaden Sharp from London, Ontario and the University of Kentucky. Shaden Sharp, barely 19 years old, six foot six, consensus five-star recruit, one of the top players in his class, prior to coming to Kentucky, is now a trailblazer. Jay Billis, ESPN, punch it. Who exactly are the trailblazers getting? Well, they didn't see him play because he reclassed from the 2022 high school class to go to college in January. He was the number one player in that 2022 high school class. He's a 6'6 wing. He's got a 7-foot wingspan. And when I'd go to see Kentucky practice, I was supposed to be watching the team, and I was transfixed watching Shaden Sharp work out on his own with a coach on the side. He's a high-wire act, a strong lower body, really fluid, uh, and and, uh, just a high-wire act that can get above the rim. But he can also really shoot it. He's got an excellent stroke great range on his shot there you can see the explosive that the that he's got you mentioned he played for the canadian national team he's just wired to score but great potential and, and a really high ceiling on him as a super talented wing there it is jay billis giving you the breakdown Shaden sharp uh comes to the blazers with a whole bunch of upside not sure quite how soon he can contribute. I'll be eager to see him suit up and play in summer league if he's there and healthy and ready to compete because we just haven't seen him compete. He also uh, told media yesterday after being drafted that he thinks he can learn from Damian Lillard. Here's Shaden Sharp. 
punch it. Uh, it feels really good just because I, I know I can can go to that team and, and really learn from their guards. Like you said, they got Damian Lillard, so he's a great basketball player that has been in this league for, for time now. So, you know, me just going to that organization and really learning from it is, is really good for me. Look, he's coming to the Blazers uh, with some expectations on his shoulders. It'll be curious to see how soon he can contribute and in what way. But I like the pick. I, li I think uh, I think Joe Cronin had a pretty good week as the general manager for your Trailblazers. Some other picks in the draft. Uh, Chet Holmgren went to Oklahoma City. Here's how it sounded. Punch it. With the second pick in the 2022 NBA draft, the Oklahoma City Thunder select... Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga University. Holmgren uh, was picked and then started laughing. Laughing all the way to the bank. The Gonzaga product, picked number two overall by the Thunder, got a brand partnership immediately with an underwear company. Ethica. He's 20. The terms of the deal are confidential. However... Ethica is a brand that really uh, focuses on body criticism, right? What was the criticism of Holmgren? Too slender, 7 feet, 190 pounds. You saw um, Auburn coach Bruce Pearl take some shots at him, said Holmgren's body scares him. Well, the brand uh, heard all that and said, look, uh, we want you to endorse us. By the way, Pearl said the NBA stands for No Boys Allowed. He said, that body scares me. It just does. Um, the underwear brand is uh, teaming up with Holmgren. Gonzaga star, he may not make it in the NBA, but he's already making it as an endorser. You get an underwear deal, you're kind of a big deal. By the way, uh, for the Blazers, Shaden Sharp will wear number 17. Chet Holmgren at Oklahoma City will wear number seven. And that is Punch and Audio. Got an underwear deal, Peter. What do you think of that? What do you make of that? I dig it, man. I, I loathe to see the posters in uh, New York in the uh, uh, in the middle of New York or downtown <laughs> wanna, Portland, though. I don't want to see that. Yeah, on the side of a skyscraper. Yeah. <laughs> actual size, Chet Holmgren. All right, let's let's talk about the top of the draft. Forget the Blazers pick. One, two, three. Of the top three picks. Which one of those players plays in more All-Star games of the top three picks picked yesterday in the draft? Mm, okay. You know, if Chet Holmgren, the thing is, is if he actually can put on muscle, do like how Giannis did, you know, from 2013 to what he has done now, where he's put on 60 pounds of muscle, it's going to be Chet. Chet is the ultimate modern big if he can just add some weight basically he has Giannis's game he's just he's weighs less less than I do even though he's a foot taller than I am the safe pick I think is going to be Jabari Smith Paolo yep. Bancaro's the most NBA ready guy today in this draft but I think Jabari Smith is just going to straight up get buckets and look in the all-star game defense doesn't matter yeah I think Jabari Smith is going to be my pick to make more all-star games and I because I think he's on a team in Houston too where he is really going to get a lot of opportunities and uh, won't be surprised. I also like the chip on the shoulder part of that. You know, I, I, I couldn't help but notice his reaction when he wasn't picked number one. And then, you know, you see Holmgren go two. The cameras cut to J Jabari Smith after Holmgren was, was picked. And he looked down. And I thought to myself, it, one of two things happens to Jabari Smith. Either 
he uses this as a chip on the shoulder moment. Like, okay, let me go show you, as Michael Jordan did once upon a time when he was picked third uh, in a draft. Or he uh, gets in his head a little bit. Uh, I kind of think Jabari Smith is going to uh, shine in Houston. And I don't know about Paolo Bancaro. Like, I, I'm not sure. I, I He looks very mature and NBA-ready, as you say. But I wonder how much better he can get. Like, I think the other players, like Holmgren's got some upside. Jabari Smith's got some upside. Even Shaden Sharp, I think, has tremendous upside. Is there much more room for Bancaro to grow? I think there's a little bit as he learns the NBA game, but it's one of those things where, look, next year, don't be surprised if he gives you 16 and 8. Yeah. But where's he going to grow from there? You know what I mean? His game, I'm not going to say it's like a Carlos Boozer or something like that, but it's sort of a similar thing. You know, it, he comes in, looks great. You know, oh man, just wait till the future. And the future sort of comes, but it sort of doesn't. I think he's to a degree set in clay. Yeah, I, I keep an eye on it. If you want to weigh in on that, tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. Anna's popping into the studio next. Round and round it goes. Where it stops, only Anna knows. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Appreciate everybody who listens to this show. Also love you if you're reading me at johnconzano.com. That's where you can read me exclusively now. Last night with the Blazers picked Shaden Sharp, I very quickly did a rapid reaction. Love the comment section of that as uh, readers were able to weigh in and debate with each other whether or not it was a good pick. Uh, anytime there's breaking news or stuff going on, you can go to johnconzano.com. And you can read that. If you subscribe, you will get it delivered right to your email inbox in real time, and you can read it when it's good for you. Uh, Anna has popped into the studio. It is a beautiful sunny day outside. I have so many questions I want to pepper you with, Anna. Are you ready? Sure. Here's question number one. How did you end up here? <laughs> here, meaning America? Mm, okay, let's start with America, <laughs> like... but let's let's zero down. You're born in Taiwan. Uh -huh. Where in Taiwan were you born? Taichung. You're born in Taichung, in Taiwan. Your parents decide they're moving to America. Yep. Like Eddie Murphy. Coming to America. Yeah. Yep. So you, they come to America. All the rest of your family ended up in Southern California. All the other Taiwanese cousins and whatnot, they're all yeah. Southern California. What are you doing up here in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, we're here because my dad did sort of a preview tour of the U.S., so he visited all different parts, all different cities, mm. East Coast, the South, Chicago, and he chose the Northwest because he liked how the air smelled. Good for I'm us. I'm not even kidding you. That's so, how he decided. That's how arbitrary it is that I'm married to you. <laughs> How the air smelled uh -huh. is why we ended up in the he same liked area. The air of the Northwest. He Thank goodness. Portland. He liked Seattle too, but he he wound up choosing Portland. That's interesting to me. I think we also had friends that like they had been missionaries in Taiwan, mm -hmm. and they were from Portland. So there was some kind of connection to Portland in that way. Like one of my mom's best friends was originally from here and came yep. back here. So I, I want to ask Peter and Judah the same thing because I, I'm very focused on like how did you end up here? How did you end up here? Peter, who in your family 
chose this region? Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, my grandmother and uh, grandfather. They uh, they lived in Burbank. My dad lived in Burbank, California, until he was probably oh I don't know twelve years old. You know, in the uh, mid sixties, they moved up to McMinnville, Oregon. Do you know and- why? I don't actually know why. I, you need I to ask somebody. I do. You need to ask somebody. Because it's like Lewis and Clark ended up here, and everybody asked him, and then there's a whole story about the Oregon Trail. and We need to know why why they ended up here. I, I, I'm fascinated by this stuff. So they, they went to McMinnville? Yeah, and I think, I don't know this for a fact, but I believe that uh, I had, you know, like my grandmother had a, you know, I have a great uncle who had a, a massive farm in the Amhill area, and it might have just been uh, to be near family, but I'm not sure why the decision to leave Burbank happened. Is there anybody alive that you could ask? Yes, yes, I can ask my grandmother. Ask that question. Yeah, know. ask her. Grill her next time you see her. <laughs> Say, hey, how come we live here? Grill your grandmother. What is it? She might have a, there might be a fantastic story behind it. Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah, you don't know. Judah, you also ended up in McMinnville. What is going on here? How did that happen? I think Peter is a relative of mine somehow. Somehow. Wanted to be close to Judah's family. Everyone in McMinnville is related in some way. Three degrees of separation. (laughs) Have you noticed? They do kind of look alike. (laughs) Have you guys done the genealogy thing? We do. We have the same middle name. Yeah. So, Judah, how did you... How did you really humperdink? <laughs> I told you not to say. <laughs> Judah, how did you end up in McMinnville? What's so, the story? A couple years ago, maybe f- a few years ago, we did confirm after long speculation that I have a uh, distant relative in the founder of McMinnville, whose name was W.T. Newby. And uh, so I'm like related to him somehow. So that's generally how we got into this area from what I remember. He came, he lived in McMinnville, Tennessee, came over the Oregon yeah. Trail and founded McMinnville, yeah. Oregon. And oh. uh, I've got some relationship to him. So there's newbie stuff everywhere in McMinnville. And I've always kind of taken on Like we lived on the newbie school. street growing up. Uh, really? Which was kind of funny. What? Yeah. You lived yeah. on a street that bore your last name? Yeah. The yeah. middle wow. school, too. New, newbie Middle School. Newbie well, Middle School, yeah. And there's like three different newbie streets in Mac, and we're on one of them. All right, so here goes the story of of W.T. Newbie, William T. Newbie. Uh, I found his diary online. <laughs> A- 1843, William Thompson Newbie. Wow. He immigrated. He was born in McMinnville, Tennessee in March of 1820. He uh, was left an orphan by the death of his father in 1821. His mother died in 1826. He had a hard struggle. He did not. He was not educated. Um, he uh, decided that he was going to come west. He got married, and decided that the mild climate and rich lands of the Oregon Territory were appealing to him. So he uh, he left Tennessee and was part of the immigration of 1843 and came here to Oregon. And then was he? Did he found McMinnville in Oregon and just name it after the town he was from in Tennessee? That's what he did. Yeah, that is wild. Imagine everything he had to go through to get out here, like the obstacles that he had to overcome, and like just you know, not only the dangers, but just even survival on the Oregon Trail. If anybody's ever read anything about that or watched, like you know this. What was this sequel to Yellowstone? You have a whole different appreciation for the fact that they actually made it alive. Get him on the show. <laughs> Can we get WT Newby on the show? <laughs> yep. Hey, have you read his diary, the Oregon Historical Quarterly, 
published a journal article of his diary of 1843. Have you read this? I did a report on him in seventh grade. I think I remember uh, doing some looking at his diary, but I forgot about all that backstory until you brought it back up again. I think he was a fascinating guy, did overcome a lot. So uh, I think I'm related, like my grandpa was related to his brother. So it wasn't like directly related to him, but that's how we got the newbie connection. His uh, brothers died a day apart in 1842. So it's uh, you know there's a, there's a story there. Yeah. I am, I'm going to order this diary. <laughs> that must be why I, I need to know who we're working with, Anna. <laughs> my journal habits from yeah, us from WTV. We barely know this guy. And then you know it's funny we were at Worlds of Sport. We were on the panel discussion. I looked down and Judah was in the audience. He had his journal out. He was taking notes. And I thought to myself, you know what? That guy's a journaler. It turns out WT newbie yeah. was a journaler too. Right. <laughs> goes back Shout out. several generations. I just like the story. And if you're listening and you don't know why you live where you live, ask somebody who does know. You know, I'll get into my story later. But Anna, you, you did, uh, your dad decided he liked the way the air smelled. Yeah. W.T. Newbie liked that it was like mild climate in right. Oregon. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter's story, you know, there's going to be a story too. And he asked his grandma, it's going to be wild. Yeah. She's going to be like, you know what? I was on social media. I met this guy. I decided I was going to go to Oregon. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure that's Who knows? What if, it was, what if he, she knew WT Newbie? That's going to blow my mind. <laughs> Chances are she did at this point. I did. Everybody uh, knew You him. talk about worlds of sport. Uh, I did get to run into your mom and dad at the event, JC, and you'll I'm probably sorry. talk about how you ended up in Oregon. But one of the yeah. things we, we talked about was the day you were born, how, how crazy a day that was. <laughs> That that's uh, uh that's that tell was me about it. I tell know. me what you know about the day I was born. Well, <laughs> it was a beautiful day, much wanna, like much like I today. Hear this. Except it was what November. November, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, late yeah. November. But because uh, I always thought you were from Klamath Falls, like that's where yeah. you were born. But yeah, she no. said that you guys were in Ashland. Your dad mm-hmm. was going to finishing up some credits at the Southern Oregon, maybe Southern Oregon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you were, you were due, but she, when she knew that she was going into labor, she thought that she was just having like a stomach ache from like yeah. dessert the night before or something like that. <laughs> they like their desserts. They, they busted <laughs> over to Medford <laughs> Hospital and you were born 15 minutes after they got to the hospital. Woo! I don't mess around. There's Fif- a lot of pe- 15 minutes. That's crazy. There's, there's a lot of people who like to loiter. Like the st- my dad tells a story. He decided that he would take my older sister to, to breakfast. I was born in the morning, nine fourteen a.m. And my dad went to go have breakfast. He came back. I was born. That's how I roll, people. Like I, it's when I want to do something, You're I do on it. Deadline already. I Waste do it. No time. Let's go. I got a life to live here. Get so, me out of here. I mean, that is your claim to fame. You actually are a native Oregonian, you know, because there's right. a lot of Oregonians that will say you're not a native unless you were actually born here, unless you came out of yeah. your mother's womb within the borders of this state. I was uh, launched projectile style out of my mother's womb into the state of Oregon, <laughs> and I have not stopped running ever since. <laughs> so coming up, we are going to play what? What? uh what is your peeve? What has been bothering you this week? I want you to line up now. If you're somebody out there who's got a peeve, this is the time to get it off your chest so that you can get into the weekend with a clear mind and a clear conscience, feeling good. What is your peeve? What is bothering you? What is on your mind? What is your gripe? 
Let's spill right here on this beautiful Friday. 503-417-7575. Grab an open line right now. I'll give my peeve. Anna's going to give hers. Judah's going to go. Peter's going to go. I want to hear yours as well. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I appreciate everybody who reads me at johnconzano.com. If you want to read me, grab a subscription. Grab a free subscription. Grab a paid subscription. Do what works for you. Uh, in this segment, Anna, Peter, Judah, myself, we're going to play a game. I want you to participate as well as a listener. Yeah, what is your peeve? What is bothering you? Get it off your chest. We're going to do it every Friday, and I appreciate that you're here for it. But I'm going to go first. Can I go first? Uh, yeah, I think so. Since I'm on the since it's my show, yeah. and since I'm on the subject of what bothers me, and I, something's bothering me, here's what bothers me: on social media, when I post a column, I'll often link to it, and I'll post it there. Within about 15 seconds of me posting, someone will reply to it. I know you could not have read what I wrote. In 15 seconds. You couldn't have clicked on it, had it load, and read. So it tells me that you're responding and replying to 1,200 words or 1,500 words or 2,000 words that I just wrote and I spent all this time writing and thinking about, and you're not even reading it, but you're firing back an opinion about what I wrote. I would just like you to give it a glance or pretend that you're glancing before you reply with your comment. That bothers me. I think it's – I don't, I don't think this is a – this is going away. I don't think it's going to change the minds. I think younger people are, are more guilty than older people. It, but I think what we're seeing here is we're in a very urgent now society. And I know Twitter has implemented some things where, like, when, if you go to do that, it'll tell you, do you want to read this before you retweet it <laughs> or reply? I know because it's alerted me when I go to reply. And I go, no, I already read it. But, but you, that bothers me. What is that about? They're just reading the headline. Okay, so should I just be writing a headline and then that's it? You could test it sometime. You could write a headline that's totally opposite of what the rest of the column content and is. And then go, hey, people, here's the inside joke. <laughs> Everybody who's replying to this yeah. isn't really reading it. But I I'll often go, like, man, you didn't, I can tell you didn't read it based on what you wrote. But, you know, let's be more thoughtful with each other. That's my peeve. What's your peeve, Anna? Uh, I have twofold. One, because I'm really impatient. I want to know whether Phil Knight is going to own the Blazers. Yeah. Like, this was announced, I don't know how long ago now, what, weeks? Is it about a month that we since we've been talking about this? And I want resolution there, especially given what happened last night. I want to know whether the trajectory of the team is really going up and up and up yeah. and whether he's going to be the owner. My second part peeve to that is all the people who are already criticizing Blazer's pick from last night. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just the whole, like, whoa, Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan – Greg Odin, like, I get it. I know that's part of the history, but let's just give this a chance. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, as hard as it is it's, to be a Blazers fan over the years, I want to be optimistic. So, Shaden Sharp, give him a shot. Yes. It's not that far off from my peeve. 
because they're they haven't taken the time to let this guy even show you who he is and you already have an opinion about it it's not even about him it's like give the team a chance you know give it the team a chance to correct its bad yeah, but, luck or whatever you want to call it from okay the past. but i i've been critical of the team and like this is a team that needs to do better yeah it, yeah i think they are but yeah but I don't blame fans for being a little bit frustrated with where they're at. I know. Last year was such a dud. Uh, I want to go to the phone lines. I want your peeve at 503-417-7575. What is bothering you? What is on your mind? Judah and Peter are going to go as well, but we're going to start with Kyle and Sherwood. Kyle, what's your peeve? How's it going, John, Anna, Peter, Judah? How you doing? Doing well. It's it's nice enough to where it's hard to have a peeve, but uh, I'll start with a joke one. When you ask Anna if it's okay to say something. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> is that your peeve? Who am I? No, no, that's just a joke. But, but my real peeve is when you live near a coworker and they say they're stuck in traffic and you've been at work for 15 minutes. Oh. There was no traffic. <laughs> that's a good You one. catch them in a lie. That's oh, and then they get off early and they leave early. Oh, it's horrible. Anyway, yeah. comments off air. Love you guys. I appreciate you. Yeah, I shouldn't ask if it's okay if I do anything. What am I saying? You're not really asking. You're not in charge, Anna. You're, You're not. not the boss of me. <laughs> you know? You know, I've done that too where somebody says, oh, they're running late and they're blaming traffic. No. I immediately get on my device to be like, is there traffic? And it's like, coast is totally clear. Yeah, welcome to you my know. life, married to an investigative reporter. <laughs> What's your peeve? What's bothering you? 503-417-7575. Weigh in now. I want to hear from you. Yes, you. My peeve is when I say that, you aren't calling. I want you to call. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from first-time callers. If you've never called a radio show, it would be an honor that you called this radio show first. And regular callers... I want to know what's bothering you on this beautiful day. Just get it off your chest. Don't go into this weekend with something bothering you. Peter, what's your pee? Oh, John, you're going to have to hold me back on this one. <laughs> so very exciting times in the Samson household. We are having our upstairs. It's essentially like the like a giant attic. You know, it's unfinished. We're having it finished. It's a major construction project. We're thrilled. It's all paid for. We've got it worked out. But here's where my pee comes in. The contractors, they take a look. They measure everything. They say yeah it's going to be three weeks well here we are on this beautiful friday we are headed into week five and you know what if it's going to take five six seven weeks you can just tell me that we're headed on vacation we need we're getting out of town there's going to be people in our house we have all the mats down we have the tarps hung kim works from home she has a very important she she manages the supply chain for all of the legacy hospital systems and there's people drilling and banging she's working in the basement now the cat is trying to escape and run upstairs and get in the way and i'll tell you what john it's coming to an end and they go to pick up the flooring oh they got the wrong kind of flooring and it's going to be two or three more weeks before oh. we even have the right stuff in stock so if it's going to take two months just tell me that's my peeve peter sampson oh. mic drop in that yeah 503-417-7575 wasn't that cathartic to yeah. just let it all out and say it in one piece Shaking. i don't think you even took a breath i hope I they're listening I hope, I hope so. they're listening. You know, they're gonna somebody's gonna call in and be like, you know what's your peeve? 
when the supply chain's out of our control and these guys <laughs> who are getting their attics refinished don't understand we're doing our best. You know. Oh, I'm about to take another <laughs> breath, man. They didn't come in three Mondays in a row. They <laughs> haven't had the time. <laughs> They were in traffic. Is okay? the mistake that traffic you, was bad? You said everything's paid. <laughs> like, is everything paid for? Because yes. shouldn't you kind of wait? Like, is that we because oh, yeah, they we, already have your money? We so we it's... put a deposit down uh, upon agreement, pay. and then they come yeah. in and they do a week's work, and we pay the other half a deposit. Yeah, it's okay. paid for. So it's paid in full. Mm-hmm. So that, they're not. That's part of the problem. That's exactly. Part of the problem because exactly. they're not in a hurry. They, I they I generally money. will tell them I'm happy to pay you half. Or even three quarters, but I uh, I need to see the job done before yep. I pay when it yep. comes to work because that does sometimes happen because they got your money. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to Will, who's in Eugene. Will, what's your peeve? Hey, guys. Everybody having a good day? Yeah. Great. Hey, hey my peeve is a very seasonal peeve. Okay. It's about to happen this weekend. You're outside. Everybody's sweating. Everybody's hot. And that one jerk comes up to you and goes, hey, Will, hot enough for you? <laughs> I hate that. I absolutely hate that. It's hot enough for me. I live in Oregon. I was born in the shade. Anything above 75 just chaps me, all right? Bye. I love it. I love that. Hot enough for you? Thank you. This is like, oh. like here's the other one. You're working in your yard uh-huh. or you're washing your car. Yeah. And the neighbor goes, hey, should I? you want to come over to my house next? Uh-huh. Or, hey, can I bring my car over? <laughs> I don't even want to, like, give a courtesy smile to that one. <laughs> no. But we all, we all say yeah. those things, but, thinking, like, in that moment, oh, know, I'm so witty. I think we should all be so armed weird. with, like, a paint pellet gun. We should all have an issued paint pellet gun, and if somebody says something stupid like that, you, you're you're permitted to whip it out and shoot that person right in the chest, and then they're marked. Like the sex offender idea I had to spray paint their faces, I think they're marked, and we know now as that person walks around the rest of their day, that person is prone to saying some nonsense. Yeah, I like that yeah. one. Good call there from that caller. Uh, Steve's in Dallas, Oregon. Steve. What's your peeve? John, my beef is uh, squirrels. Um, <laughs> three months ago, I brought in four cubic yards of compost. I tilled it all in, built up my raised beds. I sowed direct-seeded carrots, pea pods, bok choy, romaine mm. lettuce, leaf lettuce, collard greens, radishes, and eggplant. You are self-sustaining, Steve. <laughs> Well, I've got my pet steer, Milo, and my eight hens, so, uh, and <laughs> fruit trees. I retired down here. Anyway, yeah. in the last two weeks, I have nothing in my garden. <laughs> nothing. And the only thing they haven't touched are the potatoes, because they're six, seven inches below ground. How do you know it's squirrels? Um, How do you know it's not other wildlife? my blinds, um, and uh, I look out, and, they're, and they aren't tree squirrels, they're ground squirrels. I've tried red pepper. I've tried cayenne pepper. I've tried garlic. I've tried mothballs. I've tried everything. Do you guys have any suggestions? Oh, I, I bet you if you listen long enough, somebody's going to call in and give you the answer. Uh, my mom but, used to have that problem with her garden, and she made her husband construct this giant cage with, like, wire around yeah, her garden. Yeah, but he doesn't want that like, in his backyard. It was, like, no, imprisoned I, I vegetables. Acres, so I'm not worried about what it looks like. I've even tried chicken wire, John. And they dig underneath the chicken wire. I, and the only, uh, excuse me, 
They haven't touched my tomatoes and potatoes. They've gotten everything else. Wow. I'm frustrated. There's got to be somebody yeah. with a solution. Somebody, if you're hearing this, 503-417-7575. Steve in Dallas has got a real problem. Next, the squirrels are going to call in, and they're going to be like, you know, R.P., we've been eating this food, and some guy keeps seasoning it with cay- cayenne pepper. That's going to be – thanks, squirrels. Uh, let's go to Mark, who's in Beaverton. I'm serious. If you have a solution for Steve, I want to hear from you. Mark's in Beaverton. Mark, what's your peeve? So, John and Anna, I I have two, and I was debating to go with the one that's more jovial and light or the one that's more serious. I'm going to go with the one that's more serious because it really pissed me off after I read your column today about uh, Caleb Swanigan. Yeah. And we all know that the Blazers have had decades and decades of – of ineptitude when it comes to doing their homework to, to, to pick a player, you know, that is going to do something for the team. And they absolutely botched it with Caleb when they did their homework. And, and I didn't know a lot of his background until I read your article, read your, your email. And it was like, and really you couldn't have done your homework to find out that, that he was the best pick, you know, in the first round. And then, to not even take care of the dude when he started to go south mentally. Yeah. You know, and for that reason, I pray to God that that uh, Phil Knight buys the team because I'd like to think that he would do the right thing in those areas. And so, anyway, have yeah. a nice day, guys. Yeah, and what, what Mark and Beaverton's talking about is Caleb Swanigan, you know, he had this really rough upbringing. His dad died when he was 14. His dad was... Uh, addicted to crack cocaine, had a real drug issue. His mother had six children. They were homeless. He went to 11 elementary schools in 12 years, uh, uh, you know, and he he um, had, a, had it rough. He had a weight issue. He's 360 pounds as an eighth grader. And, you know, we all have seen the pictures and whatnot. So that's one thing. Like, yeah, did they, did they really look into that story and did they know what they were drafting? Two, though, and this is the one that bothers me, is, you know, there was it was a clear cry for help when he said, I don't want to go to the bubble, and he, you know, started posting weird stuff on social media, and he took off, and a team source told me that they were aware of it, and they were told that someone was going to look into it and do a welfare check. I do not think they did. That said, let's just say for a moment here, like, I think part of the story, too, involves, you know, you got a person who is having a mental health issue or a crisis. We all have dealt with people who are in that circumstance. It's really hard to get them to do what you want them to do, get help, right? It's really difficult. And, you know, we've dealt with friends or extended family members that, you know, we go, gosh, I wish they would just go get this help or get medication and stay on it and, and, you know, Anna, we had a case, you know, with one person that was homeless and on the streets. And you were like, hey, logically, this isn't working for you. But, they, you know, and this person had money in the bank and the ability to go, you know, it took us having to physically move this person off the streets and put them in a home and, like, take control of their assets and go, hey, here, we're going to pay your rent with this. And, you know, it's it's really hard. So I'm. I'm upset or I'm frustrated with the Blazers a little bit on that front, but I also know even if they got to Caleb Swanigan, he may not have done what they wanted him to do. Yeah, I mean, mental illness um, can become so powerful that it defies logic. 
and uh, it's tough because if any of us, you know, have family members or cir circumstances where we're trying to help somebody, we can certainly relate because it's like you know the path for somebody, but there's also that fine line where it's like they have to get to a point where they're willing to accept the help as well and take the steps you know, to improve their life. And sometimes when they're in the midst of psychoses, that's a really hard crossroads to get them to. And often you can try to lead them to the water. You can lead them there and make the opportunity available. But if they're not in a place to receive it, yeah, then it, it's not going to stick. More of your phone calls. What's your peeve? 503-417-7575. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Top of the hour, you'll get the 5 at 5. In the 5 o'clock hour, I'll talk about the victory that I think the Pacific Northwest is lining up for this fall. I see some good things happening. I'll tell you what I mean by that. I'm taking your phone calls right now about what your peeve is. Judah Newby, do you have a peeve? Plenty to choose from. For me, I do indeed have a peeve. Happy to share it. All right. Happened in the last 24 hours. This is uh, this is my peeve. Uh, people who decide to check in to hotels or resorts or the like during prime checkout hours. Okay, so check checkout is at 11 a.m. Checkout is at 11 a.m. It's acceptable to me to check out any time, like in the 15 minutes, 10.45 up to 11 a.m. Or as long as you're in line by 11 a.m., I feel like that's acceptable. <laughs> Check out. So my peeve is when a guy gets in line, cuts. Oh, I opened the door to the lobby for him, by the way. He gets in in front of me as a result. Okay, no problem. Gets in 10.55 a.m. Is he quickly getting in and out to check out? No. He's checking in for his Edward Jones corporate retreat five hours before check-in time. And, of course, he's got questions, and he's got follow-up questions, and he wants tea time information, and he's flirting with the receptionist, <laughs> flirting with the gal at the desk. And, you know, what was supposed to be my two-minute checkout process becomes 15 minutes in line. I'm trying to get to the beach. Frankly, I wasn't bothered by it until the old guy behind me tapped me on the shoulder and said, can you believe this guy? He's checking in in the middle of checkout rush. And I'm like, you know what, old man? You're totally right. That's ridiculous. 11 a.m. Oh. Man, it's check-in is at 4 p.m., so Kevin from Edward Jones, you need to relax. <laughs> At least wait until one o'clock, okay, yeah. Kev? Come on, that's my I peeve. I think the best part of his peeve is how fired up he is about it. But I also oh, think, yeah. like the the real root of this is he opened the door for someone who then ended up in line in front of him. If you open the door for someone, that person should, as a courtesy, turn to you and be like, "Hey, I know you opened the door for me. Recognize you could have you could have been in front of me and let you go." Yeah. That's the right thing to do. It's like when you got a million things in your basket in the grocery store and somebody has one thing. Yeah. You let them go. Right. It's common sense. Justin is in Castle Rock, Washington. He's got a peeve. What is it, Justin? Oh, I got a peeve. Well, the easy peeve is to uh, go off on the, the gas stations, but not because of the price of gas, because they lock down their bathrooms like it's Fort Knox. I just spent $125 at your establishment, and there's no public bathrooms? You're holding any hostage? I just, 
I don't know where we're going with this, John. Yep. No, I. what is going on in that bathroom that they got to lock it down like it's Fort Knox? You know what I mean? <laughs> sacred place. This is a sacred space. You must not enter here unless you're buying a Slim Jim and you're getting some gas. Then you can use it. And, oh, by the way, I got to give you a code and I got to give you a key that has, like, a hubcap tied to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And in that case, you can use the a bathroom. A wooden spoon. <laughs> there you, there you go. <laughs> and I, you know what? And I always look at that wooden spoon or whatever it is, and I go, we don't know where that's been. Uh -huh. But the truth is we do. It's been in the bathroom a lot. In and out. In the hands of somebody actually going to the bathroom. Who probably didn't wash their hands. Yeah, so you wash your hands and then you carry it? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense, bathroom monitor. <laughs> All right, the 5 at 5 is coming up. You feel better now after you've vented? I feel better for you. Leave it here. Five o'clock hour still ahead. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Five o'clock hour on a great Friday. Look around. It's beautiful out there. The skies are blue. The trees are green. You can see the mountains. This is where you live. Except if you're listening via the stream or podcast and you live like in Hong Kong or something. Visit Oregon sometime. You'll see what I'm talking about. You know what? This show should be sponsored by like Travel Oregon. I just thought about that. I was looking at the podcast data the other day we've got like three million listens already what are we in month six mm -hmm. almost july so what's the connection well i'm just saying we're like a we're like an endorsement for the pacific northwest this mm -hmm. radio show yeah hey look at this it's beautiful here it's green here <laughs> brought to you by travel oregon see what i mean hell all we had to do is mention what's your peeve and all of a sudden you know the marketing and salespeople sold that as in a you know as a uh, benchmark. So why not Travel Oregon, sponsoring this great radio show as an ambassador for the Pacific Northwest? Because we could change the whole open, Anna. Because I was born in the state of Oregon. Yeah. I'm native son. Yeah, native son. Like, Travel Oregon. Bald face truth. Native prodigal son. Native Oregonian hosted. I don't think you tout that enough. I don't. Yeah. I think people associate you, you with the Bay Area because that's yeah, where I you live grew there. up. I've been to a but lot. Of, I've been if to, I were you, I would be like native, native Oregonian. Yeah, that's right. I'm from here. Mm -hmm. We're taking this show on the road. Have I told you that yet? I have. When that? When's that going to happen? We're. Uh, what I'm waiting for. My life. I'm waiting for somebody who owns like an RV company or Winnebago rental company. <laughs> to be like, hey, if you're going to go on the road, why not go on the road and we put like the BFT traveling road show. Yeah. You know, there was a movie. Wrap the whole RV. Wrap way. the RV with the logo of the show. <laughs> we drive it off to Hepner and we drive it to Ashland and we drive it to Roseburg and Klamath Falls and Eugene. And we just we do the show. Mm -hmm. The show's on the road, mm -hmm. so to speak. You know, there was a there was a movie that. Uh, featured uh, Richard Pryor and Billy D. Williams, mm -hmm. and it was kind of loosely based on the Negro League baseball teams that were barnstorming. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have that in mind, 
Bingo Long and the Traveling All Stars. It was called. It's an old movie. If you if you're if you're bored this weekend and you're looking for a good movie, <laughs> Bingo Long, Traveling All Stars, and Motor Kings. Okay. They sell the DVD of that movie at the Negro League Hall of Fame in Kansas City. Huh. I went there and I was like, oh, I remember that movie. It was a great movie. Yeah. But it it sort of tells the story of the teams that barnstormed all those years and how they'd roll into town, put on a show, and play a baseball game. That's kind of what I fashion this radio show to be, you know? I like it. We could say the Bald Face Truth radio show, traveling radio show, and Motor Kings. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Okay? Sound good? You want to do the five at five now? Yeah. Let's yeah. do the five do at it. five. The five at five. An emotional scene in Atlanta today as Freddie Freeman made his return to Atlanta. He's now with the Dodgers. He got his World Series ring. He got a standing ovation in his first plate appearance. I was watching the video of it uh, during the commercial break. It was emotional. He took off his Dodgers cap, wiped some tears from his eyes. Freddie Freeman returning to the scene of where he helped the Atlanta Braves win a world championship just a year ago said he still loves atlanta still loves the braves got his world series ring hugged all his old teammates he played parts of 12 seasons with the braves and you know he uh wasn't about getting a ring he said but it was more about you know the family that they became on the way there he's now with the dodgers Six years, $162 million. The Dodgers are his other hometown team, in part because they gave him $162 million. Now, that brings tears to his eyes as well, I'm sure. <laughs> Anna, number two in our five at five. So we've been talking about a former NBA player, Delonte West. He was looking for a job. There were reports that he was panhandling in the streets of Virginia. Yeah. He had some mental health and addiction issues he was battling. Well, that story went viral, and then a dealership, a car dealership in Alexandria, Virginia, saw the stories about him, noticed he'd been asking for money nearby. So they have figured out a way to get him a job and uh, help him make some money. Turns out the dealership was getting some floor work done, so they asked Peter. the company in charge of the project... <laughs> If Delonte West could lend a hand, they were thrilled to have the extra help. So he's been working with them the past couple. Good of years. for him. I like that. You, uh, it's not a happy ending because we don't know how this story truly ends, but it's a nice start, so to speak. That's number two. Number three. Let's turn to the Yankees. Aaron Judge and the Yankees. They've been at an impasse over his contract. He is on track to become a free agent at the end of this season. They agreed today to a one-year, $19 million contract. He's got some incentives in there for MVP award and World Series MVP, but he's 30 years old, and he's in the middle of what what is perhaps his best season. He's hitting 304. He's got 27 home runs. He's driven in 53 runs, all in 68 games. The Yankees have the best team in baseball right now. On Thursday night, he drives in the game-winning run against Houston. On Friday, they go to arbitration, and they hammer this out. Now, on the eve of the season, he turned down $213.5 million. 
choosing instead to leave open the possibility that he might become a free agent. The Yankees offered to settle at a midpoint, $19 million. Judge declined, went to arbitration. He's going to get the $19 million plus coming out of arbitration. This will all reset again in about six months when they start talking about extension, but I just think it's interesting that Judge ended up in front of an arbitration hearing. Like, you know, didn't go in front of the judge, Aaron Judge, Mm -hmm. get it? Mm -hmm. It's in his contract, and it's in a lot of the MLB contracts, the standard contracts, that if they have a dispute to this point, it'll be an arbitration thing and not a court hearing. So there you have it. That is number three in our five at five. Judge is getting 19 mil. He may be one of the best players in baseball if he keeps this up. Number four. <laughs> I have a hard time counting. This is the hardest part. Is you get two out. and four. Yeah. Two and four. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm never going to say Anna number three or five. It's yeah. always two and four, yeah. and I never remember it. I know. Anna number four. Block. Um, Peyton and Eli Manning's nephew, Arch Manning. Cool name. Arch. Named after Grandpa. Archie. Uh, commits to Texas. He's the top high school football player in the country. He has posted, I guess, hashtag hook him. Can you imagine the pressure yeah. being their nephew? I guess he is rated as the number one high school quarterback in the country as well as the number one high school football player overall by all of the major scouting services. Holy moly. I, I bet Tennessee where Peyton Manning went yeah. or Ole Miss where Eli and Archie went. I bet they're super disappointed. Sure. That he didn't pick them. He's going to Texas yeah, Texas, he picked Texas will, over Alabama and Georgia. Those yeah. were the other ones in the running. For so all SEC teams, if you think about Texas being part of the SEC, as Oklahoma and Texas are poised to join the SEC. So he was staying in the South no matter what. It's a big issue. When you look at the talent, I don't mind them losing, and I mean them, the Pac-12, losing a player to the SEC who grows up in SEC country, as, as this kid did, Arch. Mm-hmm. But... I, I don't know why. I just thought about Jughead and <laughs> Betty. And, Archie. Yeah. But uh, what we have to stop in the western part of the country is we have to stop players who are growing up in the state of Oregon, Washington, and California in particular, leaving for the SEC. There is a high-profile tight end in the Portland metropolitan area at Central Catholic High School who is narrowed his choices down to three schools and i noticed that two of them were sec schools Mm. and i thought gosh man like it's one thing if you lose if you're oregon or oregon state or washington washington state you lose a player to like usc or ucla but it's another thing if you lose them to the sec there's something about that you're seeing like the best players here need to stay here don't they yeah ideally 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 finally our fifth thing in the five at five it's a weapons charge, because why not? It's too nice a day to not talk about a weapons charge in the NFL. Bears linebacker Matt Adams got arrested last night. And this doesn't make any sense to me. He's arrested last night, and he's charged with a firearm possession charge, and he's cited for having a high-capacity magazine and metal-piercing bullets, according to the Chicago police. 
He was arrested at 6.45 p.m. According to the charges, they searched his vehicle. They found a high-capacity magazine within the city limits of Chicago. That's a code violation. They recovered a weapon as well. The Bears are saying, hey, quote, we were made aware of an incident involving their arrest, blah, blah, blah. He's in his first season with the Bears. The last four seasons, he's been with Indianapolis, and now he is in trouble in Chicago. This is not what you want to do if you're a free agent coming to a new city. Further, without getting too far into this, the immediate first thing I thought about is like the accessibility of weapons like this, high-capacity magazine, armor-piercing bullets. That shouldn't be a thing that civilians can get their hands on. You know what I mean? It just shouldn't. Matt Adams, welcome to Chicago. Hope you have a lawyer. That's the five at five, the five biggest things going on. Metal piercing bullets. Man. Uh, let's go back and let's talk uh, through all these things. Let's go back to the, uh, let's go back to Anna's uh, Arch Man. Is it Arch Manning? Arch Manning. <laughs> Not to be confused with Archie Manning, <laughs> his granddad. Uh, guys, what do we make of this? He's he's going to the SEC. He's going to Texas, who will be part of the SEC. Um, uh, it's another win for the SEC. I don't mind it, but how good a player is this kid going to be? How much pressure is on this kid? Oh, he's he's a huge, huge prospect. Obviously, he's more athletic than Peyton and Eli were. Um, the only downside with him is apparently his high school competition in New Orleans wasn't all that impressive. Uh, but I, they, I've got another peeve. I've got another peeve. <laughs> Sar- still on that. Steve Sarkeesian yeah. quote tweets Arch Manning's commitment. Okay, so it's a big yeah. win for Sark. Whatever. Uh, Sark says all gas, no brakes as part of his quote tweet. What does that mean? Like, why is that a good thing to say? All gas, no brakes? You know what happens when you have all gas and no brakes? Yeah. You're crashing you into a crash. wall. What the hell are we talking about out here? Like, college football coaches say the dumbest things sometimes. I've never understood why all gas, no brakes is a laudable uh, mentality to have. Like, I don't get it. And then, you know, Arch Manning's, I, I did some reading on this, but Arch Manning's high school coach is out here saying that Sark is a really good guy. Sark is a really good I think we know at this point he's got questionable character. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that we can say that Sark is an out and out really good guy. Like just say it for what it is. And, and I did see that Arch has a uh, high school teammate who was a three-star tight end recruit who also committed to Texas earlier in the week. I think, uh, that influenced his decision and the QB coach there at, at uh, UT Austin influenced his decision. Not exactly the high quality character of Steve Sarkeesian. So that's my piece. Apparently, uh, Edron James' son is also in the same class and is apparently, uh, you know, maybe going uh, also to Texas. That's cool. So, a little Colts reunion there. Edron James saying, uh, you know, look, he thinks they're going to play in the NFL together oh. one day. And getting a little ahead of yourself. But that's when you're all gas and no brakes, that's what you do. <laughs> all gas, no brakes, fight on, baby. Let's you know what go. you should do? <laughs> you should yell that out the window when you're driving. <laughs> On the on the uh, freeway, and you see somebody like on a motorcycle. All gas, no brakes, buddy. Some, some people do that. I hear that a lot in McMinnville. I yeah. hear it. If you drive through McMinnville, you just hear people yelling, "All gas, no brakes." Yeah. I like this version of Judah, by the way. Yeah. I like the fired up. Well, Judah had Judah. some days off. 
Yeah. You know, you can tell yeah. he's revived. Uh-huh. You know, he's refreshed. Uh, I'm going to guess, did you guys have uh, your daughter with you? Or was daughter staying with relatives and you just kind of took a break? Oh, no, she was with us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He sounds amazing. He does. Well, this sure. guy. I know you, you don't want to talk about how tired I am, but that's another peep of mine. <laughs> how tired I am. <laughs> um, can I ask a question about Arch? So he's not going to be eligible to play for another year. He still has to finish up his se- senior season in Louisiana. Class of 2023. Do you think he's actually going to finish that season? I mean, didn't we? Haven't we had the discussion of kids leaving high school early? To go play? He'll probably – we don't see it as much in football, but what I'm going to gather is he's going to finish his season but not finish his senior year. Okay. And go early to Texas yeah. so he can be part of spring football. I see. Because that's what happens when you're a really, really good player and you end up in a program that's pretty motivated. The other thing is Texas will encourage him to do that because they, they will want him enrolled. Because when you know they like to get their their grubby hands on the players, <laughs> and and they don't want him like hey they really he, want him locked. He's in. our guy, but yeah. he's not on campus. Uh-huh. He's in he's on campus. Yeah, he's in school. Like you'll see some of these universities. The minute a kid commits, they'll put him on their website. They'll put him on their roster. Yeah. It's like they they're doing everything they can to lock him there. Right. So I uh, I imagine Arch Manning. Will be. I don't like that name. Why? Because Archie Manning okay. is a somebody. Arch. Just, just get over it. Arch. Really? Arch Manning. It's fine. What's his middle name? It's fine. Rival. <laughs> you know. Enemy. Nemesis. Nemesis. <laughs> Nemesis. Arch Manning. His middle name is the letter E. Arch E Manning. <laughs> just the letter E. Uh, uh. They got to get a wide receiver named Jughead. And then they'll have it. <laughs> they'll have it for sure. Uh, yeah, okay, what kind of player is he going to be? Is he a, is he an NFL player? No, does he play doubt. in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. He's going. You be, think so? Yeah, multiple Pro Bowler calling it right now, and that, wow. that's not even to me too aggressive. I think he's really going to be that good. I'll just say he's going to be a bust. I don't know that, but because you said he's going to be so great, I just can't imagine being in that position. And I don't know. It's so hard for me to fathom having that kind of pressure. As you go into in your senior year of high school, even I don't know. You've been around these athletes a lot more than I have, obviously, but I can't imagine being like their nephew and being under the microscope that way. Yeah, I uh, I know that's a lot of pressure, but doesn't that kind of go in his a win category for Arch? Yeah, like he's dealt with pressure and he's performed with all this expectation. I know, I know. You know the Manning name. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. All right, I got to talk more about the Blazers. I want to talk about football in the Pacific Northwest. I have so much on my mind, plus my own story. How the hell did I end up here? I've asked everybody else. I'll ask myself that coming up. You got the BFT statewide. Leave it locked in on this Friday. When I arrived in Portland in the Pacific Northwest 20 years ago, uh, it was uh, it was going to be like a two or three year stop. I had worked at six newspapers prior to coming to uh, the Oregonian, and I was at the San Jose Mercury News covering the NFL and Major League Baseball when 
They enticed me to come up. And uh, my other stops had all been two or three year things. And, and, you know, I had opportunities to leave. I did. I, the Wall Street Journal offered me a job, the Orange County Register, the Seattle Times a couple of times, the Mercury News offered me a job to come back. The, I've talked to some others uh, over the years about jobs, and, and nothing ever really felt like a no-brainer to me. I also probably grew up some, and I had, uh, as you know, if you listen to the show, three daughters and uh, two little ones especially, and once you get kids and you get them into school and you start to think about more than just yourself. Like, really, early in my career, I was probably pretty selfish in engineering my career path because I didn't have to think about a wife, a kid, a bunch of kids, and their lives and how it, how my decisions would dis- disrupt their lives. So, um, you know, I digress, but I, I point that out because, you know, I, I think on a day like today when I look out and I see how beautiful it is outside, I'm reminded why you live here, why I live here. I'm reminded for people up and down the West Coast why they live where they live. Hell, it was my grandfather in 1930. He was a 20-year-old man who was living in Pittsburgh, uh, the suburbs of Pittsburgh, in a small town called Vandergrift, Pennsylvania. They had a steel, steel mill and a foundry there. And my grandpa and you know his parents had immigrated from Italy and his brothers and sisters had immigrated from Italy, and here he was working in the foundry as a young man in his late teens and early 20s, and and uh, he was looking around going, is this it? Is this all life can be? There's got to be better opportunities somewhere, right? And so my grandfather had this real entrepreneurial, adventurous spirit. He had a phrase that I use still today. He used to say, make a life. And uh, may, you know, he made a life for himself and his family. He'd say, make a life. And um, I still have that phrase. I, like, I built a barbecue pit in the backyard uh, with a concrete countertop that I poured myself. I looked it up on YouTube and decided that I would pour it myself. And in the top of the uh, concrete countertop, I put make a life in, uh, in lettering. So, you know, it's a reminder to myself of the, the spirit of my grandfather. But my grandfather, you know, in 1930, he was a big Pitt Panthers fan, and he wanted to go see the Rose Bowl. Pitt was playing USC in the Rose Bowl January 1930. And my grandfather and his friends jumped on a train in Pennsylvania, and they decided they were going to ride the rails all the way west. And uh, I'm only telling you this. I'm not, it's not really a sports story, but it is a sports story. They wanted to go to the Rose Bowl, right? And I've written this, and I've talked about this before, but th- what they really got out of that trip west was yeah, an education on the country because they stopped at different stops along the way. It took them several weeks to get west. They were trying to get there by January 1st to get to Pasadena to see that football game. But they were uh, stopping uh, you know, all across the country in the Bible Belt and whatnot, wherever the rails took them, and taking odd jobs for a day or two or three, and then you know, just making their way slowly west. When they got to California, they did not make the Rose Bowl. They were missed it by uh, several days. And uh, my grandfather was always disappointed about that, that he didn't get to the Rose Bowl. And I, I tell you, every time I see the Rose Bowl or I go there to cover a football game, I think about my grandpa, and I walk in there, and I say to myself, uh, you know, under my breath, I go, you know what, I made it, Gramps. I got here. Um, but my grandfather did get to California in January of 1930, and what he saw were blossoms on the cherry trees. And he said to himself, gosh, if I ever have a family, I'm bringing them west. And I think about that, that experience that he had back in those days, 
through a couple different lenses. Like people will say, hey, sports are just a diversion. They don't matter, whatnot. I don't think I exist if my grandfather hadn't jumped on that train to come west. Because eventually, after he did get married back in Pennsylvania, uh, he decided amid a snowstorm that he'd had enough of the weather, enough of the foundry in the mill. And he said to his wife, like, we need to move where there's opportunity, opportunity for our kids and potentially our grandkids. And and they came west, and my father was born on the west coast. He wasn't yet born, but he was born on the west coast. And, you know, he was the baby of their family. My grandparents brought two kids with him. My, my dad was the third. And then my dad grows up, and what happens? He meets my mom in the Bay Area, and they get married, and they have me. So if my grandfather doesn't jump on that train, if you want to... You want to talk about sliding doors and coincidences and all that stuff? Like, if if that doesn't happen, I really don't think that you're hearing me on this radio show today. Like, and, and you probably have your own story of coincidences or how your parents met or what are the circumstances by which you came to exist that are equally amazing. Like, we all have an amazing story. We're all miracles. If you think about it, you're a miracle. Like, even my children, I keep, I think about that, like, I'm at the San Jose Mercury News covering the NFL. It was my dream job. That's where I was. The newspaper up here in Oregon calls me and says, come on up, take a look. You know, years later, let, I meet Anna. Babies are born. They don't exist if I don't take the job. Like, we're all these amazing miracles. Even Anna's parents. Like, her parents, you heard it earlier in the show, her parents, they, they were immigrating from Taiwan to the United States Everybody else in the family went to Southern California. For some reason, her dad says, you know what? I like the air better in Oregon. It's cleaner air. So he goes to Oregon. Like, you know, I don't meet her. Our kids aren't born. You know you know how it works. Gosh, it's amazing if you really think about it. It's all a miracle. But I bring this up because, you know, here I am 20 years later in this market. I've turned down other jobs, opportunities to leave. I don't know if I'm going to stay here forever. I like what I'm doing right now. I love having this conversation with you. I love writing and telling stories. And for those of you who have already subscribed at johnconzano.com, it means a lot to me when I see that you've read. It means a lot to me when, when you subscribe or you sign up to receive my writing in your email. So keep that coming because it inspires me. It, it's a one-on-one conversation we're having. And yet, like yesterday, it was amazing. I looked at some numbers uh, with, the, with the new Endeavor, and you know, I, I looked up, and there's 38,000 people read what I wrote yesterday. And it's amazing to me that we're having this conversation right now, even on radio. It's, it's remarkable to me. I feel connected to you. I feel connected to the region. I don't know if I sound like some, some uh, you know, nutty buddy over here, but it's, uh, the skies are blue, and uh, I'm feeling it today. So... I just want you to know, I, I'm grateful that my grandfather got on that train and headed west. I'm grateful that my parents met and I existed. I'm grateful that I met my, my wife and we had kids and they get to exist because of that. But I'm also grateful for your story and I'm grateful that you're out there, whatever that story may be. I'm going to talk about your trailblazers coming up next and the beautiful blue skies of the Pacific Northwest, I think... They're sparking some inspiration on the Pac-12 football front. We'll finish the show today by talking about the Blazers and some Pac-12 football. And I promise it will be engaging and enlightening. And who knows? Maybe uh, maybe you and I will uh, continue this conversation for years and years. I want you to leave it right here. you got the BFT statewide. 
back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Joe Cronin started with the Portland Trail Blazers as an intern all those years ago. And if you have ever uh, watched Good Bosses, what do good bosses do? What do good uh, what do, do good, good quarterbacks do? What do good basketball players do? They know their position, but they also know every other position on the field, right? Quarterbacks understand what the left guard is trying to do, what the tackle's trying to do, what the running back's trying to do, alignment, uh, mission, assignment on every play. We talk about those things in sports all the time. I think there's a real advantage to the path that the Trailblazers general manager took to his current position. For those of you who missed Joe Cronin's news conference yesterday, he started by thanking everyone on his scouting staff, everybody in basketball operations. He named them by name, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, frankly, when I saw the uh, the uh, news conference, I almost fell out of my chair because it's not what we're used to around here, right? Neil Olshay, the Trailblazers' former GM, he was not a guy eager to dish out credit and build up the staff around him. He was eager to kind of be snarky and condescending and dismissive. Uh, I can remember fans who offered criticisms of the Trailblazers. He scoffed at it, didn't want to hear it. You know, no real humility in Neil Olshay. And I think it was really born from insecurity, uh, him not coming up through the traditional ranks in basketball. I think he was always looking over his shoulder, always wondering who was going to take his job Ultimately, when he was pushed out last season by the Blazers, uh, I found it really interesting that the guy who slid into his position was uh, a guy who started his career with the Trailblazers as an intern. It's a great story, Joe Cronin's story. But I, I, uh, I wonder, as I talk about this, you know, and, and he gives credit to the assistant GMs and the scouts and the people, everybody who's support staff and everybody who's around their draft picks, that, you know, this is a guy, it's not lost on me, that this is a guy who was sitting in those roles not that long ago. So he knows how that plays in the room. So I think it's uh, really interesting to me to watch Joe Cronin sort of blossom here as a general manager. I think this week was his best week by far on the job. If you look at his draft picks yesterday, especially in the first round, I think uh, the the pick that he made in the first round was a, was a no-brainer. I mean, you... You have uh, questions about the kid from Kentucky having not played some games, right? He never played in a game, in a college game, but was the top player in his class uh, in 2022. Um, you know, Shaden Sharp was, was you know, a, a guy with tremendous upside as a high school player. He reclassified, so he's not eligible at Kentucky. So he doesn't play in games initially. Then when he becomes eligible, and Kentucky really needed him, um, the handlers that were interested or vested in Shaden Sharp's draft stock, uh, you know, stood in the way of him getting on the court. They did not want Jan Cal- John Calipari to put him on the court. And I get that because if he takes the court late in the year, maybe even in a game against St. Joseph's in the NCAA tournament that Kentucky lost, 15 seed got him. If he takes the court and he doesn't play well, his draft stock's affected by that. So... I do have questions about it, and I wrote about that today at johnconzano.com. Like, I have questions about the competitive fire of a player who didn't play in games when he was available or eligible to play. 
But I think it's more of a sign of the times than anything. Like, I kind of understand that that's the world we're in, and I kind of have to adjust to it. So I, I think Joe Cronin had a great draft yesterday because Shaden Sharp's got upside. Now, I don't know if he's going to be a rotation player for the Blazers. I don't know if he is going to blossom into a star. But I know he was the number one rated high school player in 2022. I know that he that people didn't get a good look at him in college at Kentucky. I know that some of Joe Cronin's staff did get a good look at him, and so they were they were enamored with him. And if you you know, as Cronin said yesterday, he said you know you know he was looking for someone to wow him with a trade. He said you've got to wow us to move this pick. That was his quote, and nobody wowed them. I like the logic of taking a guy with tremendous upside at number seven versus taking maybe a more seasoned college player that maybe doesn't have tremendous upside. It reminds me of Anthony Simons coming out of high school and going to IMG Academy. You know, the Blazers didn't get get to look at him either, nor did anyone else, and I think they ended up with a nice pick. Like, if Anthony Simons had gone to college, he's probably not available to the Blazers where they're picking. And if uh, if Shaden Sharp had been on the court for Kentucky, it's possible that he is picked in front of number seven in this draft. And it's possible if he stays in college at Kentucky and plays next season that he's the number one, number two, number three pick in the draft. So I think it's really interesting, and I like the logic of the pick. And I wrote that. Uh, and, and, and now I'm focused, though, on Joe Cronin's act. Think of the week that he had. He had the draft. And then before that, he trades a future first-round pick for Jeremy Grant. Now, I'm not saying that the Blazers are going to contend, because they're not with this roster next season, unless something dramatic happens in front of them and with their own roster. But they got more entertaining and they got fun, didn't they? Like, I, I can see how these pieces fit, especially Jeremy Grant alongside Damian Lillard. So now I'm looking for what kind of upgrades can they make to the current roster? Like, do they have a foundation here? that we can all get behind? I think so. But what a good week for Joe Cronin because I think he he had done some things in in sort of emptying the roster of C.J. McCollum and Norman Powell and Robert Covington that really upset fans and disappointed media. Um, this is an organization that needs some stability, that needs to be fun. Fans deserve that. But And, and also the Blazers right now, they are operating – amid a tornado of questions, if you think about it. The GM, as I mentioned, was pushed out last season. Chris McGowan, the longtime team president, he threw in the keys. He said, hell with this, I'm out of here. The team is owned not by a person, but by a trust. They eventually have to be sold. Phil Knight's group has, has submitted a written offer to buy the Blazers. But meanwhile, the Vulcanites are busy playing semantic games saying, well, we're not currently for sale. As I have pointed out many times, my pants aren't for sale, but if you make an offer that entices me, hell yeah, they're for sale, and I'll slip into some shorts, and you can have them. But this franchise needs a couple things, right? It needs an ownership group that will love it and nurture it and foster accountability and, and give you hope. And fans deserve a team that is entertaining and fun on the court. Something important happened this week. It was, the basketball side of the operation conducted itself tactfully and professionally. The trade made sense. The draft pick was logical. And, you know, this is Joe Cronin's baby, this team. I don't know what he's going to do with this team, but I'm going to stick around and find out because 
I kind of like what he did this week, and I'm interested to see you know it, it what he does. It's like watching a painter paint, right? You walk around New York City or wherever, and there's a street fair going on, or there's a painter painting on the street, and you stop, and you kind of look for a little bit because you appreciate when somebody with some talent or skill or expertise is crafting something before your very eyes. Joe Cronin's doing that, right? I don't know if it's going to look pretty at the end. I don't know if you're going to want to buy it. I don't know if I'm going to want to buy it. But I like what he did this week, and I'm going to give him credit for that. Coming up, I'll talk about the Pacific Northwest. Beautiful day. Gorgeous day. I can see things beyond mountains and blue skies and trees, though. I can see the Pacific Northwest is going to matter this football season. I'll tell you why next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. It's a great weekend. We got great weather out there. I got to be honest. I love living in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, People don't know I am a native Oregonian. Yes, I was only here for a blink, as a friend reminded me last night. I... uh, my dad was playing professional baseball, and he was in uh, AAA with the Mets organization when, uh, during a winter break, he took some classes at Southern Oregon College, uh, now Southern Oregon University. Uh, and so dad was taking some classes there. Mom was uh, very pregnant with me, and I was born in Medford, Oregon, and uh, I... Uh, I now claim that I am a native Oregonian because technically I am a native Oregonian. So if you've moved here, you know what? Uh, get, get, uh, if you moved here, if you're like a transplant, uh, can I say, like, hey, you're ruining our state over here? No, le- legitimately, I, I was a, no- a native Oregonian, but barely, as I was there for a couple of months in my early childhood and then grew up in California. But uh, I got to say, uh, my kids are native Oregonians, and I love this state. And Anna's lived here for most of her life. She immigrated from Taiwan with her parents. And I guess the the point I'm trying to make is that uh, I look out at a day like today where I can see Mount Hood and Mount St. Helens and clear skies and blue skies and summer is upon us. And, you know, there's laughter and dogs are dogs are wagging their tails. And I was going to say kids are barking and dogs are wagging their tails, but that's not quite what I was aiming for. But what I'm saying is, all is well in the in the world of sports here in the Pacific Northwest, and we've talked about it on today's show. Uh, I love the range that we've showed on today's show. Like, we talked college football. We talked about Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, kind of the Pacific Northwest teams, and how uh, this July and August will be, I think, a primer for us as we move towards the college football season. We're going to have it all here on this show. Uh, as we move towards the college football season and really a, uh, a pivotal time at University of Oregon. Dan Lanning, the coach at Oregon, extremely pivotal time in his first year for the Ducks. Like They are trying to continue what Mario Cristobal started in the wake of Willie Taggart. Like Oregon got its feet underneath it. So here comes Dan Lanning, 35 years old, uh, father of three boys, uh, first head coaching job, you know, we're going to get to know Dan Lanning during this college football season on this radio show, and you're going to get to see him coach. And And I just kind of wonder if the narrative of Oregon's season will be anything like the narrative that we saw in Mario Cristobal's early seasons. Like, we, we noted the upgrade of talent, particularly the upgrade of size on the Oregon offensive line. They valued length, they valued size, they wanted to put a cleat in the turf, as Mario Cristobal would often tell us, and 
drive the other guy off the ball, and they did that to some extent. Not all the way, though, right? Because towards the end of te- uh, Cristobal's tenure, you know, they weren't pushing anybody around in the Pac-12 championship game. They weren't pushing anybody around in Salt Lake City when they played Utah on the road in the latter part of the season. They weren't pushing anybody around when they played Oregon State or when they played um, uh, at Stanford, right? Like, they had some issues putting a cleat in the turf. Like, they talked it and did it to some extent, held their own in some games maybe people didn't expect them to hold their own in at Ohio State. You know, when, when I picked Oregon to beat Ohio State, people said I was nuts in Week 2. But I had seen, uh, you know, I, I think I, I made that pick with, after seeing Ohio State struggle against Minnesota in their opener, and Minnesota pushed Ohio State around a little bit in that opener, and I thought, gosh, if Mario Cristobal's team is every bit as physical as we expect them to be, might they do this? But what we also saw in Cristobal's tenure were coaching deficiencies, failure to make adjustments, conservative play calling. There were some things uh, with game management and clock management that really concerned me and concerned you, and we watched him and we said, okay, you know, he's he's a great recruiter, and uh, he wants to play physical and play big, but can the University of Oregon play a football game in which, you know, they adjust or out-coach the opposition? By and large, that did not happen under Mario Cristobal. I'll be rubbernecking a little bit to see what he looks like at Miami, but I expect it's going to be much of the same. I expect that Miami's going to have tremendous talent, uh, physicality, and win a lot of games, but I think they'll lose some games that maybe they should have won. That happened at Oregon. Like, we saw Mario Cristobal struggle against coaches who were better game managers. Kyle Whittingham, Justin Wilcox, David Shaw. We saw Mario Cristobal struggle at times. Even Jonathan Smith got him uh, once in their tenure. So uh, keep an eye on that. I'll be watching that with Dan Lanning with curiosity to see if the criticisms of Mario Cristobal... Are they the same criticisms we'll have of Dan Lanning, who is a defensive-minded coach, comes from the defensive side of the ball, uh, isn't talking about all that put a cleat in the uh, turf talk, but uh, is definitely talking about being physical and flying around on the defensive side of the ball. But what kind of game management will Oregon have? What kind of adjustments will Kenny Dillingham, their offensive coordinator, have? Because think about it. It's not just Dan Lanning, who's a first-time head coach. You've got Dillingham calling plays with no one over his shoulder for the first time. Defensive coordinator calling the defense with nobody over his shoulder for the first time. So I think we're going to find out a little bit about this coaching staff pretty early on as Oregon goes to Georgia in that opener and plays a road game that is a big football game for the University of Oregon and and a big game just for identity purposes for Dan Lanning and his program. Uh, you know, also along those same lines, like Jonathan Smith, we've talked about this. They were fun last year. They were so much fun to cover, and they were great at home, right? Oregon State, like, you know, had shed the little engine that could sort of moniker and took on a different identity. They were physical. Uh, Jim Mahalchek, the offensive line coach, he got a $100,000 raise from last year to this year, uh, deserved that raise because their run game was potent. And I remember... Kyle Whittingham coming on this show and talking about the run game. He said they run it as good as anybody. They are de- they are lethal, and you know they beat Utah at home. I think in part because of that. It was really the only one of the only times in the season that I saw Utah shoved around the field. So Oregon State's physicality became a story last year, but they had lacked consistency. 
right? Especially late in the season. They went on the road to Cal. They went on the road to Colorado. Those were winnable games. Those are the kinds of games I need to see the Beavers win this year. And 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 no longer will this be a cute story if they can't win those winnable games, right? Those are those are easier than going to USC and winning. Those are easier than beating Oregon two years ago at home. Like this is uh, this is the kind of step forward we need to see from Oregon State. So a little bit of pressure on them. Meanwhile, I'm not sure what's happening at Washington because if you ask a diehard Washington fan about Kalen DeBoer's first year, some will tell you, oh. Huskies are going to be sneaky. Look out. Michael Penix Jr. at quarterback. You got DeBoer, who's a really good coach. You, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be Chris Peterson part two. And then others will say, no, this is going to be more of a reset year. And don't get your expectations too high. If they make a bowl game, it would be a big deal. So I don't know quite what to make of Washington, and I won't probably until we see them play Mel Tucker in Michigan State in the early part of the season at home. I'm curious to see what the Huskies look like, especially at the quarterback position where Penix Jr. has been uh, injury-prone his whole college career. Can he stay on the field and stay upright for Washington, and how good will they be? That's something to talk about. Frankly, Washington's schedule is favorable as well. We've talked about this on the show, but they do not play USC and they do not play Utah in the regular season, so it's a little bit of advantage for DeBoer in year one. Uh, also up in the Northwest, Washington State. Like we, we hit on this earlier in the show. Cam Ward, the quarterback at Washington State, I'm being told is the real deal. Everybody is raving about Cam Ward and what he's doing in spring ball and what he did. Uh, you know, people have watched him in workouts and in seven-on-sevens, and they're saying he is going to be lethal in the Pac-12 conference. The air raid is coming back. They Jake Dickert has hired Eric Morris, who was the, uh, was the play caller, uh, at Incarnate Word with Cam Ward as quarterback. So he's bringing in a quarterback and a coordinator. Real synergy there. But there are some questions on the offensive line at Washington State. Can they keep defenses away from Cam Ward? Or will they need to in the air raid? Or will it be quick release, get the ball out of his hands? All I've heard about Ward is great leader, great decision maker, physically gifted, gets rid of the ball quickly, knows the offense inside and out. That's everything you want to hear about your quarterback. So what I'm here to say is, while USC is getting all the attention, and while everybody's picking UCLA and Chip Kelly to have a resurgence this season, I kind of think the resurgence is going to happen here in the Pacific Northwest, where it's sunny and beautiful, and you're going to have a great weekend. All right, the bald-faced truth is not here for a long time, just a good time. Grab a podcast to this show wherever you get a podcast. I want you to leave it locked in right here. Great stuff coming up here after the break. But uh, we'll catch you back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm out.